Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Rundgren Radio. Tonight we have two special guests, which we will get into in a little while here. We have Billy James and Tony Rogers, of course, from A Dream Goes On Forever. The continuing story of Todd Rundgren, Volume 1, was out in 2002. Volume 2 is in the works, should be out in 2008. We'll be talking about that tonight. We'll be talking about Volume 1. We'll be talking about Volume 2. We're going to have a good time. We're going to learn a lot about Todd Rundgren because you can basically look at these guys as the only historians that we have that have documented him in a biography. It's going to be a great show. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year to everybody, all the Rungren Radio fans, Todd Rungren fans, anybody else who's listening, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2008. Thanks again for a great 2007. That was our first year. We started late in the year, but, man, do we have some great shows and some great guests, some really good times. I am trying to start the chat room. So hopefully, there it goes. The chat session is in place for you all to have a good time tonight. If you want to chat while you listen to the show or send me some questions, I'll try to look every now and then see if you if we have any. I do have some questions tonight from France. If you want to send questions, it's rungrenradio at earthlink.net. I'll be happy to ask those questions if I can get to them or if you send them to me in time. So please do that if you don't want to call in. Or, of course, if you aren't able to listen to the shows live in the future, you can do that as well. Again, Rungren Radio at earthlink.net. I want to thank Cruiser Mail for filling in for me last week. In the second hour, she was able to play songs from the artists that had solo work that were on the show in 2007. So I hope you enjoyed their music, and maybe you can buy their CDs and EPs if you like them. Todd's got some tour dates for January we want to talk about. Before I get into that, though, I do want to say hello to our guests and let them know they're here. Tony and Billy, you with us? Yeah, yeah we're hey, here. Hey, Doug, how are you? All right. See, we're gonna we're gonna all three want to talk over each other tonight. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> Tony, are you there also? <laughs> I am here. Okay, yes, good. We got everybody. Good job. All right. So, what one thing I want to do? I got a lot of announcements. I always have to talk about. So, instead of running my mouth a lot, I want to start with a little clip that Tony was kind enough to send me. I'm only going to play you know a minute or so of this, but we're going to talk about Todd tonight from the start until probably we may get into some stuff nowadays. But the the newest edition that's coming out is going to be seven, 77 to 87. So the first one was 67 or 66 really to 76. Actually, I think it goes up to Tony isn't it up to 89, correct? Well, right before Nearly Human comes out. So yeah, it's, right right on the eve of, of Nearly Human, 87, 88, some, somewhere okay. around that, yeah. Yeah, and really, actually, this book, the original book, or the Volume 1 book, is childhood, so you could even go back further. So what I want to do is play a real quick clip here from, I think this is fantastic. This is Woody's Truck Stop, and I've learned from the book, because as you all all know, I wasn't even... You know, I was born when Naz started playing, so I'm not in the loop. I appreciate people like this keeping me in the loop with these types of books and this type of information. And this is one of the few songs you can find from Woody's Truck Stop when Todd was around, and this is one he co-wrote. Uh, you want to tell me who he co-wrote it with? It's Alan, somebody, right? Miller. Lynn. There you go. Look at them. These guys are full of information. All right, so here we go. Let's play that clip right quick. This is a song, Why Is It Me? And this was co-written by Todd. 
And then we'll be back with Tony Rogers and Billy James in a couple of announcements, and we're going to have a good time tonight. Before I do play that clip, though, let me tell you again, the phone number, if you want to call in, is 646-716-9262, and we'll be taking calls as usual. Here we go. Woody's Truck Stop. Oh, wrong song. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's get it right. Here we go. Woody's Truck Stop. Why is it me? Well, maybe not. All right, it may be uploading. I got it kind of late, so let's uh, let's give that a second. Let's go into the tours right quick. Sorry about that. I do want to play that for you. It's really fun, and we're going to play some other stuff that Tony was kind enough to send me. If you don't know, Todd is touring in January, back on tour, this time with Prairie Prince instead of Michael Urbano. Still got Chasm Sultan at bass. Still have Jesse Grass on guitar. And, of course, Todd front and center singing, playing. And you will get to see, hopefully, Chasm Sultan sing Trapped. It seems like they've added that to the set list. They did towards the tail end of this December tour. So hopefully you'll see that again. The first show starts January 16th in Cleveland, Ohio. The 18th, they're going to be in Columbus. 19th, Covington, Kentucky. January 20th, Indianapolis, I will be at both of those shows, by the way, 19th and 20th. Look me up if you're there. January 22nd, Minneapolis, Minnesota. 23rd in Milwaukee. 25th, Chicago, which if you listen to this show in 2007, you know we had a rally cry for Chicago. That show is sold out, but he's going to be back the 31st of January at the same place, Park West in Chicago. Before that, though, he'll stop in Toronto the 27th, Rochester, New York on the 28th. And then the 29th, Ferndale, which is near Detroit, Michigan. And that will be a wrap for the January shows. And hopefully we'll see February, March, April, May, et cetera, et cetera. That will be great so that hopefully everybody will get a chance to see this tour and this group if you haven't seen them and this set list. Because I'm going to guess that it's probably going to be similar to the ones that we've seen in 2007. So that's what we need to know there. Let's take another shot at playing this song here. And see if we can get, well, no, see, that's it. We've got a little error here from uh, Blog Talk Radio, so we won't be able to do that. Also, if you have not done this, and I can't walk you through it, but look around on the site today, RungerRadio.com, when you're at the Blog Talk site. There's a way to rate us as a favorite if you like the show, and there's a way to rate us uh, one through five star if you like the show. Give us a five. If you don't, give us somewhere between a one and four or whatever. I'd appreciate it. It will help us out get us some more attention so we can find some more Todd fans that are missing out on all this fun. So check that out on Blog Talk while you're on there. Billy and Tony, how are y'all doing tonight? Good. Good. Very good. Sorry yep. I can't play the song. Well, I'm going to get it. I'll get it on. Don't worry. We'll get to play it. Definitely will play that. I also want to play, and I hope you don't mind me talking about this, Tony, but Tony was hoping we'd play some music tonight. He's got a great collection, obviously, if you don't know, of, of different tours, bootlegs, I guess for lack of a better word, uh, from Todd from way back and up until now. And instead of playing them tonight, because I know we're going to be talking about so much with all the history of Todd and with these books, that we have decided to try to do a show one night where we're going to play the best of. The best of Tony's stuff that you probably haven't heard, a lot of it, unless you're into collecting that kind of thing. And I'm going to play a little bit of one of the songs you sent me. Can you tell me a little bit about that one, Tony? It's the last of the New Wave Riders. Well, that one uh, is the one that led off, I think it was billed as the first concert of the decade back in 1980, but it was actually recorded on the 79 Fall Tour, which is probably my favorite time for this 
particular band and you know that we did this second book on uh that i think they about peaked there that was in the lead-up time to adventures in utopia they were having the uh it was a pretty big buzz out there and it was a long time since they put out a, a record oops wrong planet had been 77 and uh you know, Adventures, we kept hearing it was coming out, and it was delayed. I think it was actually released on January the 1st in 1980. But this concert, uh, this was the first song that they came out with, and it was so neat to be in, in the audience of these shows because, you know, they come right out, out of the box in your face with this hard rock song that you've never heard before. And it was that's, that's what makes it really cool. But I, I think it's a really good version of it. It does. I listened to a little bit of it today. It sounds great for a 1979 especially uh song that you have there, so I definitely want to play that song. Let me try this Woody's Truck Stop again right quick. Hopefully this is going to be Wise at Me, about a one-minute clip. Here we go. I was thinking about my trouble this morning, trying to decide if I should live or die. On the mailbox, so instead I hope that you forget to come by. I wish the time to tell myself. That sounds very 60s, I'll say that. But good. Good stuff. So y'all, did y'all like Woody's Truck Stop? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it's it's basic stuff. I wasn't around at the time in Philadelphia, obviously, when they were around, but, you know, the, the recordings that have uh, come out, they're pretty, seem to be pretty basic rock stuff. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never heard of them up until uh, starting to do the book, other than by name. So it um, kind of reminds me of... Uh, Spooky, I think that song's spooky, yeah. sort of. Yeah. And uh, this thing from Zappa called "Speed Freak Boogie," the guitar part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of neat. All right, so good. We appreciate you. Saying that's Woody's Truck Stop. If you never heard that, now you have. Todd's, I guess that really technically would be his first song that he had written that was released. You know, it was co-written, but still, I guess that would be the first one. Is that right, Tony? You have to ask Tony on that one. I'm not. A, no, uh, well, positive. you know, I think I think what Todd, myth that Todd had said for a long time, whether it's true or it's not, was that "Hello, It's Me" was actually the first song he wrote. But I don't know. Uh, you know, certainly that's one that he did with Woody's Truck Stop. That might not count since it wasn't a solo mm-hmm. release or something. I, you know, that's I don't know that answer <laughs> really. I think it probably <laughs> predated "Hello, It's Me" though, because it's yeah. before the Naz for sure. Well, it's out there, and of course, if the first book, let's get into that a little bit, A Dream Goes On Forever, The Continuing Story of Todd Rudgren, Volume 1. From what I can tell, the best place to find this book is not in publication anymore, is Amazon.com. Is that correct? Well, I mean, it's still it's still available. I mean, A, you can either get it on Amazon or you can get it directly at the publisher, which is Golden Treasures Publishing, which they're out of uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. And if you go to GoldenTreasuresPublishing.com, you can buy it direct. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely, and I, you know, they have hard and soft mound uh, versions still available. Okay, well that's great. I know that sometimes actually, what you'll find on the uh, blog talk page for Rungan Ready is you'll see a picture of the book on the Amazon.com dot 
com banner ad that they put on there. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, you know, although we've uh, interesting enough, I've, I've yet to be able to get you know, even it's, it's in Barnes and Noble, they have it in their catalog, and and uh, uh, but they never put it out on the stands. Now whether it's because the cover is too shocking for them or or the uh, I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, you, uh, you know, I've, I've yet to see it in a, in a, book, a bookstore like Barnes and Noble, even though you can get it through them. Hmm. All right, good deal. Well, there's a way to get them. I guess uh, TR Bazaar probably has them as well. Right. So you can check that out, trbazaar.com. There's uh, one way or another. If you want it, you can find yeah, it. They're available. Out. There's no question about good, that. Good. Good. Hopefully, after night, people will want to check it out. And if not, uh, maybe they'll want to check out the next volume. It depends on what you're looking for. But I think it's just a wealth of information. I've been able to thumb through one, and I'm definitely going to finish it. I was able to already read 100 pages or more over 100 pages in a day. It's very interesting. And there is tons of information about his childhood. There's pictures from his childhood. There's pictures, you know, from... Well, I want to interject real quick, Doug, is just that that my uh, co-conspirator here, um, Tony, Tony Rogers, I'll have to say that... uh, a good portion of, of the first volume and the, the second volume, now, even though Tony takes the uh, the uh, heading as a, a researcher, he really is much more than that. And uh, a lot of the information that I got uh, originally back in, I guess it was 2000, when I put the feeler out, I, I'm a member of the Beyond the Wizard news group, and which helloed all the people there. <laughs> and a lot of them have contributed greatly. I mean, there's some people I definitely want to thank. But uh, when I put the feelers out about doing a book on Todd, uh, the first person who contacted me was Tony Rogers, I mean, immediately. And the next thing I knew, within a week, a massive box of articles and interviews and press releases and memorabilia and photos and recordings, and I mean, it was just unbelievable. that Everything you could possibly ever want on Todd showed up at my doorstep. And, and from that point on, Tony has been the main support of this project. I mean, any any... Any sort of question I have or any, any you know, he, he has the answers. If not, he can get the answers. And uh, so he's been going over this from the very beginning and, and going back and forth through the text and, and, uh, and uh, you know, and the interviews I do and this and that and, and shooting me questions, what to ask some of these people. And so, uh, you know, he he's greatly a, a huge part of this uh, project and, and even possibly more on the second volume. He's gotten a lot more involved and, and is... Uh, uh, making commentary within the book, and uh, so you know, I can't thank him enough. Uh, you know, he, he deserves to be called co-author, but he'll he doesn't want to take the title. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not we'll co-author at all. I mean, I I yeah. really appreciate the opportunity. Like anybody else, I appreciate the opportunity to work with him. And and you know, Billy doesn't come to this either as a new. I mean, I'm not. This is not scratch the other person's back time. But it really, I, I really should point out that Billy has already written uh, many many books. Uh, Prior to this, he'd written books about Grand Funk Railroad. He'd written books about Frank Zappa and the Mother's Invention. He wrote books, uh, a, a very uh, a big book in, the, in, the, in, a, in, a, in a rock history sense, and in, in one that, that he did with Zudhorn Rollo, who was the guitar player of Captain Beefheart, and, and finally cracked the mystique that was inside Trout Mask Replica that, that made that such a uh, bizarre work, and everybody wondered, well, what was going on there? Well, for the first time, you know, Billy was able to crack that through and to show and to show from Zoo Horn's uh, way, you know, how the how it was put together. And really, as as a musician or just as a rock fan in, in general, he's done so much work and he brought so much experience to this. And he's been a big Todd fan, too. All I was really trying to do was to help things out. I'm, I'm not uh, claiming that all the stuff is 100% true. You know, I am, I, ironically, I'm a lawyer in, in my 
daytime jobs, so I realize that very few things are black and white, and, and most of it is gray. So right. I think if we could label a, a lot of it maybe as educated guesses or, or pretty good guesses from, from the source, but, you know, there's a wealth of things that we found out, especially through the interviews that, that Billy did, an extensive amount of interviews uh, with, the, with the principal players involved, and was able to dig up unbelievable revelations and, and, and things that, that there would be no, no way anybody would, would know. For instance, one of the tidbits, and I, I don't want to give, give the whole premise of the, of the book away, but I don't think people uh, know the full story about what happened when Chasm came in, into the band. I think people, people just somehow thought that uh, you know, he, he came along, but it, it was a very interesting process. There was another individual that was brought into the band uh, that was attempted to, to be brought into the band, Hunt Sales, the old uh, bass or, or, or Tony Sales, I, I should say, is Tony or Hunt, whichever the bass player is. Also, Tony Sales. <laughs> yeah, he was a son of. Yeah, he was a son of. Yeah. But anyway, sales. he was be, he was actually brought in. We found out through these interviews, or Billy found out through these interviews, and nobody had any idea that this was true. That when they actually hired Chasm, it was Roger and Willie that right. really brought Chasm into the band. And, and Todd had already promised. Uh, I think it's Tony Sales. He already he already promised him the gig, I guess, or something, and. To the to the point where Tony had the the uh, you know his uh, his um, uh, gig case or you know his bass case with with Utopia already uh, put on the on the side of the case and his amp I guess or whatever and uh, assumed he already had the gig and I guess Roger had to you know Todd wasn't happy that Roger and Willie didn't want him in the band and wanted they had already uh, auditioned Chasm and wanted him in the band and uh, so I, I you know that wasn't uh, something that Todd was happy about and and uh, Roger was the one that had to go and tell Tony Sales that uh, no, you're not, uh, you're not in the band. You know, we we want to hire this other guy, uh, Chasm, and uh, it turned out to be a big uh, mess and all that at the very beginning. So there was a bit of conflict uh, before Chasm came in. You sure. Know? Well, you know, one one thing that I have noticed, at least in the first book, there, there's a lot of conflict in there, and I want to get into that. But, but before we do, I kind of want to know, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I want to say, Tony, I'm going to guess that you're somewhat of a Todd isolationist more that you're that's really your main guy and Billy you've been involved with so many different artists and books and you're in your own music as well that you know it, it well, doesn't Tony's hurt to have more, a guy like Tony Tony's okay. more of an authoritarian I mean he if yeah. anybody he's probably the most knowledgeable and I mean I've got some other people I want to thank later that definitely contributed but I, I don't want that to go out on the ways at all. I well, he's one of the most knowledgeable I mean, Todd Rundgren fans I've ever met. But there's a lot of guys that have been around a long time, and I don't profess to know anything at anybody. I mean, you know, I try to do the best that I can. I've been following for a very long time and really collecting it a long time, collecting articles, collecting music. And there's a lot of other people that that are out that have just as good a collections as, as, as I do. So I don't want to, you know, I wouldn't no, want to say that. No, I'm not. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm just saying you're, you're Todd. I mean, there are other people. I mean, guy, right? Tony, I mean, Todd's my main dude, but no, yeah. I've listened to a lot of other music. Yeah. I love Frank Zappa. I love yeah, he's a big Zappa Captain fan. Hard. I love, uh, uh, oh, I love a lot of stuff. I mean, I still listen to music all the time. All right, so Billy, if Billy wrote now, a book Tony, on... Tony has an extensive, I mean, he turned me on to NRBQ and a bunch yeah. of bands that uh, I wasn't into. And I mean, I'm into, I do work, I mean, on my day gig, I'm a music publicist, and I actually work with a lot of relatively famous bands. I work with Wishbone Ash, and I've worked with... Uh, Kevin Godley and Graham Goldman at 10CC, and uh, 
Sloan Mark Eddie. Ballman, and I just finished a thing with Norman Greenbaum. Remember him from Spirit in the Sky, and uh, and actually I was hired to do uh, um, some um, publicity for the Liars record for Todd Sanctuary oh. hired me, and yeah. just at some point you should uh, you know that that was going to be a tremendous deal. It's too bad the whole thing fell through because there was a lot of great things lined up for uh, for rare Todd material. Uh, two of them I can tell you was we were working on the raw uh, the uh, raw live. CD, it was like a live CD and DVD project, and another one was the Naz Fungo Bat double CD. Both of wow. those were at least in, in uh, you know, talking stages to getting material together, and then everything fell completely flat. Let, but, me, let, let me make one more attempt to classify where I'm going with this. If, Billy, if you were going to do a Frank Zappa book, Right. Would Tony step up and be able to do the same thing he did with this book? Uh, not as much, but he is pretty knowledgeable. But no, you're right. I mean, Tony that's that's, I'm trying is to one of the things. He is one of the most knowledgeable uh, people. But uh, with that, let me interject this and get out of the way. There were other people along with Tony. Sure. I mean, Bill Bricker, who's yep. doing the uh, typeset and layout to the book. I mean, he is, uh, he, you know, a lot of uh, stuff he contributed. And, and actually, Bill is. It uh, has the uh, the volume two in his hands right now, and, and it's uh, yeah. Bill may be calling tonight, by the way. But we we we've talked. We're hoping it. it'll be done in a few weeks, and then uh, you know, to the, once he gets it done to me, there's a process that has to be done to get volume two done. But mm-hmm. so he's contributed. There's a guy named Mike Adrian who has a uh, oh, bunch of stuff on uh, on DVD. M4 um, Utopia. He's called into the show. Mike is Mike credited is a for a lot of the photos. Um, yeah, and uh, you know a lot of people from the Beyond the Wizard. Uh, I, I, I got him Ed McCarthy, who was a photo- photographer that is actually like one of your uh, guests. I think it was Gene McLennan. Was that the Gene Lannan? Uh-huh. Right, Lannan, in which uh, I may be using one or two of her photos. I don't know. I maybe, but uh, uh, Ed has been taking photos of Todd since 1982, mm-hmm. and has thousands of photographs. I mean, up until last week when he hung out with Todd, uh, I guess he was in New York or something, and, and hung out with Todd and Jesse. And uh, so he's contributing tons and tons of photos that have never been seen anywhere else, all from his private collection. Right. Uh, so, and then Todd's mom has been unbelievable. I mean, she sent me these amazing scrapbooks. I mean, if anybody's the biggest fan of Todd's, it's his mom, <laughs> Ruth. Right. And uh, unbelievable stuff in these scrapbooks. I mean, just all kinds of rare tidbits and, and uh, you know, again, press releases and, and reviews and interviews and rare, a lot of rare photographs, a lot of cool things with uh, Todd and, and Cheap Trick and Todd and Meatloaf and just all kinds of cool photos. And so she has uh, been uh, an amazing contributor to it. And, uh, uh, you know, then I have a lot of different people who are going to be doing the proofreading. You know, there's, there's like a, a guy from France, Helios Marzal and John Grizel and, uh, uh, again, thanks to Cheryl Radin, and there's just tons of people uh, that uh, that have been contributing. So, you know, Tony has been the bulk of it, but I can't thank enough all these different uh, people that have been contributing and helping. I mean, well, speaking of Mr. Marzal, he, he sent me some questions. I'll be asking you too later okay, on. Yeah, well, Helios is the guy that he's also been doing some proofreading. Now, I, I've got a lot of proofreaders, you know, and I know people are going to talk about the first volume and some of the typos and this and that, and I've got my ex- explanations for it, but. This time around, we have a lot of proofreaders, and I actually have an editor set up. Uh, she's on the Beyond the Wizard list. Her name's Kathy uh, Sands Bamer, and they, she goes by the uh, her um, email title is KS KS uh, KBS Editor. No, KSB Editor, uh, and she's on the Beyond the Wizard site, and she's going to be doing some editing uh, on the book as well. And so, you know. We've got a lot of people lined up and a lot of people helping. There's no question about that. Tons of people. And, and, and obviously Roger Linder at the uh, TR Connection, wealth of information there as well. TR Connection, always good site. That's where 
I meant to mention that I've got the concert and tour information. Ticketmaster.com has the tickets, too. It's on there. But sometimes they don't have tickets at Ticketmaster.com, but you can get all the shows at trconnection.com from Roger. What, what a great tour, huh? Oh, yeah. You saw at the beginning. Oh, man, I saw Pittsburgh and Alexander smoking. Yeah. I mean, just great. Yes, yeah, I've seen several of the shows in 2007. I'm going to go to a couple in 2008. It's a lot of fun, no question. Let's talk about the first book, and we'll get into the second book as well, hopefully. I mean, it's just going to be just, you know, there's so much for us to talk about and delve into. But some of the some of the things in the first, Ruth Runger, of course, contributes some pictures. So if you haven't seen pictures of Todd when he was very young, then you definitely want to look at this book because those are in there. There's also some commentary from her. Uh, when he was, you know, even as, uh, when he was starting with Woody's Truck Stop, things like that. A lot of great history about NAS. You know, w- what was the idea, though, Billy, behind this book? You know, you decided to do a book on Todd Rugger with all the other books that you've done. Why did you choose to go this route? Well, well, once again, I mean, with with uh, being doing books for a while, and and, uh, and again, I want you to also know that any book that I do with these artists, I split the royalties with them, and I always get uh, permission first. Likewise with Todd, I, I asked his permission to do a book on him. If he would have said no, I wouldn't have done it. And and also, I did send him and Moogie and several other people uh, copies of the manuscript before it came out, if they wanted to, ch- you know, change anything or edit or whatever. I mean, I, I gave them that opportunity. Uh, but the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, if you look, it's amazing how many books are out. I mean, there's and I like XTC, but there's three books out on XTC. There must be what 15 books out on U2. There's even a books out on the band. Take that. I mean, there's 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 books out on just about the Lords of the New Church and the Church, and and and, and uh, there's not one book out on Todd Rundgren. There's books out on Meatloaf, but there's not a book out on Todd Rundgren. I mean, it, to me, it's amazing. And still, after this five-year period between books of me, still there's nothing else out on him. And and I felt it was just other than I have a lot of friends that are you know Todd fanatics through the years, uh, and I'm a big fan as well. I felt it's just an injustice. I can't believe that no one has written a book about this guy. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and you're still the only, you're the only one really that I'm aware of the the only you know biography of Todd Rugren. And it's a fascinating story. I mean, the guy, you know, there's so much to talk yeah, about. Yeah, there's so much history. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a shame he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, I just heard this guy Ed, Ed McCarthy, the photographer. He's actually in the band called the Human Beans, which they had that song uh, "Nobody But You." Remember that song? In the 60s, they actually just got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and Todd still hasn't. <laughs> yeah. See, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. And right. and, uh, and and the other thing I want to mention, too, is that when I did, you know, uh, start submitting around for this bio on Todd, I got passed on by everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Omnibus passed on me. I mean, Omnibus, the one that puts out in, in, in the words buyer, those 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 uh, things out of England. Cherry Red passed. I mean, everybody, can, even Sanctuary. And well, so the only person, the only uh, company that I, I was able to get was a brand new company out of Bentonville, Arkansas, this Golden Treasures Publishing, that had actually had originally hired me to do a book on with Peter Banks on Yes, which we did. And on a second thought, I, I kind of talked him into doing this book on Todd. So you had to talk him into it. Why, why do you think ultimately they decided to go ahead and let you do it? Uh, I, I think that they, they, once again, they felt there's a void that there's fans out there that would like to, you know, wants to have a bio on Todd. Not that the, the first volume sold uh, buckets because it didn't. What? So you are know? they going to do the second book? 
Oh, yeah, they're, they're committed That's to doing the second book, thank goodness, even after yeah. all this time. It sold enough for them to want to do a second book. Well, it sold enough to that, but it didn't sell enough to uh, the, one of the reasons why that, uh, you know, the first time there was some financing behind the first book, so it didn't take me more than a year or so to finish it. Mm-hmm. The second time, there was, the sales were, were, were very, not very good. Reviews well, were you good. Tell us a little bit more about those, that personal information. No, it just it could be A is because you got to remember this is a brand new company and they were green, so they weren't sure. set up distribution wise compared to a big company. There wasn't hardly any budget, and and that's getting into again some of the typos and editing problems. Yeah, but, but Billy, here's the thing, and I want to ask you and Tony both about this, and this is kind of off the book a little bit, but you guys know probably more from putting this book together than anybody. When you look at any project that you do with Todd Rugger, and including his own. They never do what you would expect them to do. You know, his albums don't sell as much as we all think they should. You know, his recognition isn't where it is. The Hall of Fame won't put him in. This book didn't sell as many as you probably expect it to or I would expect it to. I mean, there's just something, you know, it's almost like the guy's cursed or something. Well, and some of I, I it he's brought on himself. To, yeah, I think you have to trust your instincts and know what know what's right and, and know, mm-hmm. the, know, the, know the righteousness and the correctness of it. And then... And then I don't want to sound too 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 mystical, but I mean that's what it basically goes down to. That's why we're still here, in 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 the crowd with these people, rubbing shoulders with these people that I've known for twenty some years, because we know what's going on is right, and and we know that the, that that the message is the right message, and and it's and it's deserving of of uh, of uh, uh, great great laud laud uh, and praise from people that that, that it hasn't gotten, and I I, I honestly believe that. You know, you you may be looking at uh, another one of these these people like Vivaldi that's that's, that's discovered later uh, after it's after it's finished. I mean, sometimes things uh, sometimes things just are, are aren't recognized when they're when they're when they're here. But I mean, there's no way sitting you know sitting in that stage and seeing those incredible performances on the Liars tour of Feel It and 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 and, and Hawking. I, I mean, that's the closest to me, one of the closest, the highest spiritual. Experiences you you can have and 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 I don't you don't get that at at, at a U two concert you right. must be kidding me I mean I, I saw mean, you're getting the... explosives and TV shows and all this stuff you know that 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 you can see every day on your net, network television but it's not real so the the point of it is and not to be too illustrative about it but you know the the, the it has substance to it and sometimes people miss the boat it but I I understand your point Doug it's 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 incredible that. More people don't see what what we see because the people that that I know and I've turned on onto it and their fans are still lifelong fans and are still going to the shows all the time. So, yeah, he he has devoted fans. I mean, there's no question. No about doubt, that. The hardcore base, but and, it's and, not. And it's, I've seen you know I've seen hundreds of different shows. I mean, that are fantastic, but it's still one of the greatest shows I saw. I was at the Paradise, that famous Paradise 1980 solo show. And still, one of the greatest shows ever was that solo show I saw back in '80. What was so special about that show, Billy? It, it just—it was so intimate and uh, intimate and so uh, personal. I mean, it just—and his performance, the, the first set, the second set. I, I guess he was coming down with a cold and he was drinking. <laughs> so by the second <laughs> set, he was ripped, you know, and it was yeah. terrible. The second That's set, fun, but too. the first set was absolutely. Uh, just, just amazing. Really, is amazing. And I, that's you know, there was the same one that was broadcasted on the King Biscuit Flower Hour and everything. And and uh, uh, you know, at, at that point, he didn't miss a note. I mean, I don't know, maybe his later solo shows, but he was just every single thing was pitch note perfect. And and uh, 
just just uh, everything you ever wanted to see on a Todd Rundgren show, but just right there, right? You know, I mean, it was so close yeah. and everything. You well, know. you used the word intimate in there, and it and it's one of those things where sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. And Bill Bricker may try to tell me I'm wrong on this, but it seems like Bill's idea is to try to get Todd more recognized and to be the kind of guy that's in the Hall of Fame and sells tons of records, and that, and that's noble. But at the same time, from a selfish perspective, I kind of like going to the shows and there being you know three to five hundred to six hundred people there and typically he'll come out and talk to people after the show if you're at the right place at the right time i mean there's something about that that makes it kind of special to go to these shows versus as tony mentioned a u2 show you're not going to meet those guys you're not even going to get close to those guys unless you go wait 10 hours in line and get on the front row if you're lucky enough to pull something like that off i mean you know, well, I think it's also like Zappa said, it's kind of a little dripping in plastic a little bit. It's just not real, you know. Mm-hmm. When you get so big and and such, I mean, not that he had, can't translate over that because the Adventures Tours and the Raw Tours were played to big during the True. period of this book. Yeah, I, I, bet he still, I bet he still stayed even at those those big tours. Todd still stayed personal with his fans. You know, oh. That's one of the different things. He's always stayed personal with his fans. Not a lot of musicians are like that, you know, and, and really... And this is really discussed in the second volume is the uh, the fan base and the fan clubs and you know the the uh, the, the Utopia, you know, the Utopia Times. Times. Sure. I mean that's that's like the biggie, you know. And and uh, you know he's one of the few uh, artists that his fans have really stepped up the bat many many times and have supported him and still do. You know, well, I think what... anything he does, they support him. You know, yeah. I I wasn't crazy about the cars thing, but. Uh, you know, people people stood right behind him throughout the whole thing. You know, I mean, it's just whatever he decides to go, people follow. And, and you know, he's very, still very fortunate that he, he's able to, you know. Uh, and Liars, I think, was one of the greatest albums he's done, in, to me, since Healing. You know, that, I love that record. Yeah, it's a great record. And you, you look at the new cars, and I can't statistically prove it, but I went to several of the shows, and, and when I did, it seemed like it was people were there to see Todd, and the cars had more hits. You know, it, it's it's amazing that the people that like him, they really like him, and they will support him, like you said. It's just not necessarily the masses, but the ones who do, they, they seem to, I guess for lack of a better term, they seem to get it. And I wanted to ask you about that, Billy. You've done other books. What? How do you compare when you do the other books, you know, the, the not necessarily just the sales aspect of it, but the, the help that you get and the sales part of it and the responses, how would you compare those to the Todd book? Well, a couple things is that... Uh, um, some of the other books I do uh, are a little different because I'm doing them with, you. for instance, when I did the book with Zudorn Rollo, and I did my first book was with Michael Bruce of the Alice Cooper Group, and uh, which was a very big seller, actually. And I was signed to a publishing company in England called SAF Publishing, which has turned out to be an absolute nightmare dealing with them. I don't really want to get into it, but uh, they, they were actually, they did offer me a, a deal to do uh, Todd, uh, to do his entire story in 200 pages with 10 pages of photos. <laughs> And which is almost impossible. Right. I don't see how that, you know, I mean, both of these books are 500 pages long, if not longer, you know, the second volume, you know, and, and uh, you know, this thing's going to be like a 1,500 to 1,700 page epic when it's all finished, whenever that may be. But, uh, um, so, uh, you know, uh, the other the other thing is when the other books, again, SAF Publishing was, was, was actually had quite quite a lot of books out before I got signed with them, and in England, and so they they were really well set up. So their distribution worldwide was a lot way you know way better night and day compared to this this uh, Golden Treasures. Uh, even though Golden Treasures is a very on, honorable company, and and he's it's from his you know from the heart he's trying to do a good thing here. Uh, but uh, so there's a big difference in that you know just that the distribution and and the you know and uh, 
But I, and, and some of the books have gone, you know, like I said, No More Mr. Nice Guy book was a bestseller. I mean, one of the top sellers. And yet, uh, you know, the Grand Funk book didn't do so great. But then again, a lot of people aren't that crazy about Grand Funk. I love them, but a lot of people don't. So, I, you know, I'm happy with the, the first Todd book. Again, I know there's some, some problems that people had with, with the layout and design, which I want to explain about that. And maybe people can understand what, what, why it's like it is. And because of the typos and stuff like that. But you have to also understand now that the, See, when, I'm signed to S- when I was signed to SAF, they had an editor, and, you know, I would send my manuscript over to them. They had proofreaders and editors, and, and it was all taken care of and done after that point. Well, this new publishing company, they weren't, their editor really wasn't up to snuff. And, uh, you know, I did send it to proofreaders and this and that, but we, we had had trouble with, with uh, you know, one of the typesetters before. And, I, you know, so there's not, you know, excuses or whatever, but and, and it comes right down to it that, uh, there were some typos and things like that, but uh, they were green. And, and uh, you know, the people I had hired at the time to do it didn't do the greatest job in the world in, in finding typos and things of that nature. Hopefully on this book it's going to be taken care of. We've got like twice as many people and another editor lined up, and uh, so I think it'll, it'll come off a lot better. Um, but the one thing is that, again, a lot, the biggest flack I got, I think, was the layout and design of the book. And uh, I want to explain the reason behind that is that, uh, see, originally the layout and design and everything is done by an artist named Calvin Shankle. And I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan. I did some work for Frank back in the uh, chart work back in the 80s and, and uh, been listening to him since I was 12 years old. I mean, I'm a huge Zappa follower for many, many years, and I'm very close friends with the early mothers and have been helping them and Napoleon Murphy Brock for many years. And uh, I've done some stuff with uh, Mark Volman and... Uh, so at any rate, Calvin is the guy who did all the early Frank Zappa and the Mothers uh, artwork, all the album covers and all the adverts and, and all that type of stuff. The only in it for the money cover, the vegetables and all that stuff. And and it's explained, it's explored a little bit in Volume One, but it, it's explored more in Volume Two. The Todd is a well-known Frank Zappa fan. Uh, he's, he was a fan since the early Naz. I think he was invited to uh, some of Zappa's rehearsals. I think at the at the uh, um, where was the Garrick Theater in New York back in 67? And, uh, you know, and I've heard him many times speak highly of Frank. I mean, there's no question about it. He was a Frank fan of Zappa's. So I figured the concept of having Zappa's artist put together a, a book on Todd Rungren would be kind of neat. You know, I mean, uh, sounds neat. Whether it came out that way, I, I don't know. You know, some people, they don't like the way that the type is too big and, and it's not traditional. But on the other hand, Roger Powell, the very first thing he said to me was he absolutely loved the layout. And thank goodness someone put out the uh, you know typeset that was with a font that was large to read, you know. So I don't know, you know. But uh, a lot of people don't like it, and that's why I think with the uh, the uh, the new layout and design that Bill's working on, I think is is spectacular. I mean, everybody's going to love it, and it's a little bit more follows to the size format of, of traditional books, you know, the way that traditional books are, the size right. and, and well, that type of thing. You can't please all the people all the time. Your glass is half full, half empty, and of course. You know, uh, mistakes are going to be discovered, especially if people take it. I think there's a, a and, and you may recognize this since you've done other artists as well, but when it comes to Todd, it almost has to be perfect on everything, just like he is, and that can cause a problem. But the good news is at least you did it, and you put out a book, and it's readable, and it's kind of like a website to me. Content is king. Right. I don't care as much about the design as I, as I care about what's in it. 
And so if well, Rogers, I was sort of thinking that way as well. It's just sort of something that, that uh, I don't know if anybody remembers the Zappa log that the Rhino Records released on Zappa years ago. But, I mean, it was sort of, to me, I was looking at it like, here's all this information, at least at one place, that if someone wants to know when a sure. song was recorded or when he did this tour or, or this or that. Now, you know, and again, we, we I did get some, and, and, and same with the next volume, some very exclusive interviews from, from and, and again, Chasm's doing the forward for the volume two, and, and but great interviews from Chasm, Roger and Willie and Moogie and uh, Ralph Shuckett and uh, uh, you know the, the, the Paul Fishkin and Eric Gardner and Mary Lou and Prairie Prince and uh, so we, you know all no, nobody's ever seen any of this interview stuff. So uh, you know I mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good material in there you know and that's what's uh, important the content's important and, and you you know let's let's just you know we'll, we'll move on to some of the parts of the book I mean there was some things that you know could have been better you, you know we know that and next time you're going to try to make it better and that's the most important thing is that well, you, you know, you we're definitely going to work harder on it let's put yeah. it that way but but keep in mind there's still no matter how hard you work on these things there's always this this weird sure uh, distance between <laughs> when the book is sent to the publisher and then when it comes out and there's always type typos yeah. no matter you know I, I, in every one of my books it's the same thing so I'll we'll send I, it oh I know I made this correction and but it's yeah, not there you, on the uh, you know on the, I, if I could add in one thing I think one thing in particular that that I noticed that is that has changed is I think it's easier to to make a demarcation of when there's a previous article printed I think some of the right. people said they had had problems before telling you know when the when the narrative ended and and when the uh when the uh, articles that, that are printed, and I think it's a great idea, Billy's concept of keeping those in there, because you know it it really shows you almost like that. Well, here's here's what you know here's what we we've, we've gleaned at this, and here's what they said to the press, and here's right. what was said at, at at this time. And it's interesting, you can almost see them talk about the in, in some of these interviews, you can see them talk about the next project, and it really kind of just rolls the uh, the, the whole story forward. It's it's really nice. Yeah, there's another thing that people complained about was that uh, you know I. I on the editing wise is that I would state something, you know, or someone would state something in an interview and then another person would kind of reiterate it again and then again and, and it's just I like to see different, uh, you know, maybe it was too much overkill. Look, I'm not an editor, you know, and I mean, so, but I like to see different views on the subject because everybody has a different view about it, you know, and, and obviously with some of the conflicts that arise in the book, there's definitely different views and different ways people see how things happened and, and it, it just... Uh, you know, and, and and again, I, I kind of uh, my book is I don't know if you know there's a song by Zappa off the Roxy and Elsewhere album called uh, Bebop Tango, and he says that in this this song there's a beat. It's called the pedestrian beat, and he doesn't want the you know people up on stage dancing. He says I don't want you dancing to the pedestrian beat. I want you to dance to the little notes George Duke is playing. Those are the little, and that's the way I look at my books. It's like I, my writing is the pedestrian beat, and all the little added in you know the press release snippets or the interview snippets that's the little notes George Duke is playing and peppering it around the pedestrian beat you know and and I just find it more fascinating in, instead of reading somebody else's words you know or writing I'd rather read the original person who was there and what they have to say about it yeah I think that. it's interesting some of the quotes you know you had from what I've read already I've, I've heard from Stuckey I've heard from Ruth Rundgren I've heard from Moogie Klingman I mean it's great stuff so yeah, there's issues, but uh, they don't outweigh the good stuff that came out of this book. I think as the a only, fan the only that conflict thing that I saw, and, and I want to explain. You know, Moogie is a fantastic keyboard player. I mean, he does a little bit on my next record, and he's a, an incredible storyteller. I mean, he ought to do the. I said to him, I said you ought to do a bio by yourself on the thing. I mean, because he, he really is a great, 
great storyteller. I know people, you know, seem to think he's a bit negative here and there, but he did contribute an awful lot to the first band and this and that. And uh, uh, well, we had but, but you, we, we had Boogie on the too. show, so we're, we're right. And but what I'm saying <laughs> is that the the main thing that I, that some things that were in the book that he said, I think he kind of regrets that he said originally, you know, and and. Likewise, I don't think Todd was happy with a few things that were said from him and maybe a couple other people in the book. But once again, you know, I gave both of them the manuscripts before it ever came out, and they could change anything in it, and I never heard a word back. You know, well, that's so, interesting because I didn't know that you had done that. And you know, really though, for how many authors do that? That they let yeah, the other the they people? don't. And it's but, ironic. I said, look, you guys can go through any of it and pick out anything you want. I didn't get any words back no. until after the book came out, and well, then there was a little it, grumbling here and there. You, you know, say it, you say it, and here. here one thing I look at when I look at that with Moogie, of course, you know, today may be different, whatever he says, but when you look back at when Todd was young with Woody's Truck Stop and Naz, I mean, come on. When I was that age, I was an asshole, too. So no big deal. I mean, we're all cocky. We're young. We're trying to make our way in the world. And if you look at, when you read this book, you realize that every one of these guys had their issues. And, and Todd had his. And so I don't know. I mean, Todd's about to turn 60. I, I have a hard time believing that he might, he's still mad about something that happened to him when he was 20 years old with a rock band when they were, you know. Yeah, I doubt he would turn things about it. It yeah, may have annoyed him maybe at, at the time reading it. But, but frankly, when you I see a lot of uh, – they were obviously really good 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 friends in the beginning sure. there. And, and then some incredible – I mean, I, I love the four-piece Utopia, but I really love that, that, that first – the Utopia record, you know, the one with, with the uh, you know the icon, and and I love that stuff, you know, and the Wizard, and, and the more the more psychedelic stuff that Todd did. Sure. I mean, the, everybody the, loves the uh, Wizard True Star. It seems like this really, and, you know, and that, that first Utopia band I thought was just yeah. just amazing. So I mean, there's there's no question what Moogie's contribution was amazing in that first band, and uh, you know this second volume. I mean, this is the problem: is that how far you go, you know, because there's a lot of gripes and this and that, and and uh, well, uh, the, you know, there's there's obviously the two biggest, you know, there's the, still the gripe of the meatloaf thing that there's a little bit of a tiff that went on with Moogie and Todd on that. It's in the book and that's, volume that's two. That's in the second book too. That's in the book. Yeah, book. yeah. But the Moogie. biggest thing is obviously the Willie and Todd thing, and you know, and me yeah. approaching this thing, it's it's not easy. So well, how really? do you do it? Do you just well they didn't get along, but you know, when you say it in two sentences and go over it, or you give everybody their say so about it and you have discuss to. it. You know, it's and, and good to hear from everybody. That's what we've had Moogie on, and we're going to have Willie on it. They yeah, were, boy, they I can't wait to have Willie on. That's great. Yeah, if they want to talk negative, then that's fine. Because I mean, again, if but you're I'm talking trying about to keep stuff, he won't talk positive. negative. Willie would never talk negative. He, yeah. he will not do that. Really? Like, but oh, no if you're way. talking about stuff that happened in '66 and '67, and you happen to say there was something you didn't approve of or didn't like, I mean, come on. No, Willie's a sweet guy. You won't hear that from him. You you you, you won't. I mean, Billy right. can tell you that. Billy talked to him for the book. Right. But you yeah. you will see in the book that there is definitely a bit of a conflict that happened there at the end I mean and why the band broke up I mean it's just right there and and, and I can only do it so much and I can only sugarcoat it so much but I can't you know Nobody wants to think about it. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, so I'm trying to keep the whole book as positive as possible okay, there are well, a few let's, things let's in look here at this that, you've got you, <laughs> you have the situation where You've got, and I did read in, in your book, there was one one person said, hey, look, let's not forget that we were good friends. We lived together for a while. We, we had a lot, we had our moments because a lot of the stuff, you know, people want to know about is, what, 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 why'd you break up? What happened? Right. And so you got Stooky's mad about this Rolling Stone article, things Todd said. Moogie's, you know, still bitter about whatever Moogie's bitter about. You can tell there's certain issues. You know, um, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff. You hear about these bands that Todd, 
produced for, and, and a lot of them say, you know, some people say negative things. You guys uh, obviously had to deal with him some on this book, and, and, and Tony, I mean, you're a big fan. You've met him, apparently, you said, or, or you know, you guys know him. I mean, what's the deal on this? Was it just when he was younger? What, was he, you know, socially inept and just a problem, or, or just was he around the wrong people and he needed to get away? Compared to today, I mean, I, I don't know him that well, but, you know, when I've been to shows, the guy's the nicest guy. I mean, he comes out and talks to fans, takes pictures. Everybody on MySpace has a picture with Todd Rugger. I mean, the guy seems like a nice guy, but yet some of these people that were in the bands with him just or, or produced with him just want to say these nasty things. Well, I, I think a lot of it is that, uh, and just like with Zappa and, and I think Springsteen said it, is that to... In order to get the respect from the band members, you got to separate yourself from them, and someone's got to be the boss, and the rest of the guys, you can only be pals so much. But if you want the ultimate respect, you know, I mean, just like Zappa, when Zappa said something, the band did it, or you're out of the band, you know. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I think a, a lot of it is that you know, and and again, he's he is, you know, he knows what he has, you know, he knows he's a musical genius, and he's very highly educated, or, I mean, highly intelligent, and. Uh, um, you know, that's just the way he is, you know, and maybe sometimes other things bore him, you know, when people are sitting talking about shooting basketball, well, that's boring to me. I want to go and I, I'm more interested in going and, and writing stuff for, for orchestra right now, you know, I mean, and, and, uh, just like with the NAS, they may have wanted to hang out and watch TV. Well, Todd's not interested in doing that. He wants to, he doesn't want to hang out with the band. He's trying to write, write, you know, score for songs and things like that. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, and sure, when you're young, you know, you are a lot more egotistical. When when you get older, it's sort of, uh, you know, you know how the world is. But uh, um, I think in general, though, as I understand it, and Chasm said the same thing. Todd may not have been the guy to hung out with everybody, but if he would been, if you ever really needed him, he was there. You know, yeah. and and uh, they all and they all have ultimate respect. Even Moogie, I don't think any of them just absolutely hate Todd. I mean, even Andy Partridge, you know, I mean, even after all these years, he's come around and said, well, you know, Todd was right. It's a great album, you know, and then he did the fan, you know, Skylarking was an, an amazing record, even though we, I thought it was terrible at the time, you know, or something, you know. I mean, that's just the way he is. I mean, I don't really have any communication because he's doing his book and he wasn't allowed to work with me on this book or anything like that. And, and, uh, uh, but he said he had no problem with me doing it. You know, is that project again, still, still. I mean, is he seriously going to write an autobiography? Well, see, I don't know. I mean, I know he he's, he was signed about six years ago to do it. But there, I don't was, know. there was another rumbling of him working on it. I guess about uh, a year or so ago, sometime in the last year. And I don't know what the status of it is. So evidently, it's still alive. I think it's not easy. You know, it's easier when you got somebody interviewing you. You know, than you yourself writing the bio. You know, I mean, it's it's. If you got somebody who's sitting there asking you all the questions from birth on the way up, and then they put all that stuff together, which is what I do with, with you know, I, I did that with, with the, the Alice Cooper book and, and Peter Banks book and the ill-fated Joey Mullen Badfinger book that I don't guess is ever going to come out that I was working on with Joey. But, the, the, you know, it's easier to do it that way than to sit there yourself and write a bio because then you're like, well, you know, I want to make this thing sound uh, whatever, and you may not be as truthful, you know. So that might be the reason why it's taking him so long. He didn't have somebody, a ghost, you know, somebody else there, the co-author, they're pushing him and, and calling him, you know, and doing the interviews. Sure. All right, so let me ask you this. Let's get it back into the books. I do want to focus on the first book. It's going to, it's a, this show is going to be difficult because there's so much we could talk about. Right. But one thing that I've talked to Bill about, and, and there's going to be, this is, I think you're going to split right down the middle on this. 
Tell me about picking the picture for the cover. Picture for the cover was was basically we looked at a whole bunch of things, and uh, I had bought a poster online that I saw on eBay that I liked that I'd seen before, and I sent it to Bill, and Bill said, "Yeah, this is great. Let's use this." And Billy liked it, so we went with it. We're talking it, about the volume two cover. No, no, no volume oh, one. The first cover. Oh, I'm well, talking about the volume two cover. First, okay. First cover is yeah, the, volume four, that's a lot more interesting. I think. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah. the, the volume one cover is uh, is a Lynn Goldsmith picture, which I, I had dealt with her before uh, when I was doing some stuff with Grand Funk. And uh, a, you know, it's it's hard to find a lot of color photographs of Todd up until seventy eight, seventy nine. That's one thing. Uh, and b, the reason I use the photo because that period of time for me. Uh, and, and mainly in this book, we're talking about the the you know the early the original utopia and the wizard and initiation and the the really psychedelic uh, you know uh, the, the psychedelic records you know those type of the really experimental records and that that is that's you know to me that's the experimental look right there you know that that picture of him on the midnight special shows how what a di- you know uh, an enigma he is or whatever a dichotomy I guess is the word is that he. he you know, here he is coming out singing "Hello, It's Me," this pop song, yet dressed like a almost like a freaked out drag queen or something. You know, yet <laughs> yet it's shocking and, and cool looking. You know, it was right in the middle of glam and whatever. But I just feel that the the photo, and maybe you know, if I'd have gone for a more tamer photo, maybe the book would be on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. I don't know. You know, who, but who the, was the one that called? I think the name of that was the Man Eating Peacocks. Peacock. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it might. Might have been BB that said that. What? Let me ask. This is a yes or no. Just give me a yes or no answer if you don't mind. The peacock outfit for the midnight special mistake. Yes or no? Um, for me, I think it's a, it. For him becoming a uh, avant-garde genius like he is, because he is, you know, I mean, he's very experimental. He's just not just a pop pop recording artist. Um, from that standpoint, that just set, set the tone to where he was going for the wizard, the next record, and the where you know where he was at at the time, you know, and and so for him being an experimental artist and a true artist, you know, like Zappa and, and Robert Fripp, that type of level of an artist, it was the right move. But if he wanted to be, you know, the next uh, Elton John, everybody was trying to compare him to the next Elton John or, or Billy Joel or something like that. I don't think Billy Joel was at the time, but if he would have gone that route. Yeah, he, he probably would have, uh, you know, because uh, the Midnight Special was a huge show, so maybe if he would have dressed more conservative and, and uh, you know, I mean, that might have uh, won him pop stardom much bigger than he had. But the next record was so eclectic anyway, there was no hits on that anyway, nothing close to Hello, It's Me or I Saw the Light. So regardless, it wouldn't matter what he looked like. Mm-hmm. I think if you're talking about pop, you have to also ask the question, what was defaced in the music a mistake, too? I mean... That that was a that was a, a musical departure that it's also covered in in that book. That's another big question. It's right. another big 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 feature of that of that book. Yeah. But when you're looking at that, are you talking about you know crossing over for top forty hits because he was already experiencing those pretty much at at the time and and you know almost simultaneously or right before uh, you know this this psychedelic period happened and and so. And he was listening at the time. I remember at at that that time seventy three. He wasn't listening to Elton John or. or Paul McCartney, he was listening to Zappa and Yes, yeah, well, you got and the Mobbish New Orchestra. So, I mean, how is he going to write pop songs and when he's really into, you know, I mean, it wasn't more than after Hello, It's Me. It couldn't have been more than a year or so, and then uh, they, he was doing the Icon. Yeah. yeah. Bill, you're, you're trying to turn this into a Frank Zappa show, man. Yeah, oh, thanks, yeah. thanks, Dave. <laughs> you know we had Mike Keneally on, right? Oh, yeah. 
But, he was great, man. What a great guest. Yeah, I saw him uh, rehearsing, Frank. But let me ask you this, because you look at you look at the the to me, and, I, and of course I'm not a historian with Todd or whatever. I look at the Peacock outfit deal and what I read and what I talk to people about. It was a statement, and I'm I'm trying to find out if when you put it on the book, was it a statement or was it just a picture you like and a time period you like? For me, it was like I said. It, to me, it 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 it, it symbolized what the first volume and really was was about you know was that period of time is experimental time you know the other is the pop hits time and this and that but but the bulk of this this chap this volume one is about the experimental records and this and, and the first utopia and the wizard and uh, um the, you know the the real man record in, in, initiation record and that type of stuff and and so I just felt that this is the most experimental-looking photo. Plus, it's a pretty photo, you know. He looks pretty on it, you know. I mean, so it's it's a, you know the photo's cool, you know. And and uh, and and the other thing again, you know, I wanted to find a really bright, you know, stunning-looking photo. There 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 just wasn't that many color photos. I mean, it was mainly black and white. So what's the photo going to be on the new one? Because you, you you started talking uh, about that, but we haven't seen it. Well, uh, Tony, it's Tony's photo. He'll tell you about that. One. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a promotional poster put out in uh, I think it was right pretty much after the uh, band had 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 formed with with a four piece with Chasm. It could have been the summer of '76 or '77. I know Todd's wearing the Armadillo T-shirt, and Willie has has a beard and all, and they're they they look just really happy. This is right about the peak before. Uh, before things really started started to, to break in the in the move up to adventures, which is probably the commercial peak at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just an upbeat, good photo of, of happy times, and and uh, you know all of us old timers just remember seeing those four faces year after after year. It was a it was just something that we kind of de- depended on, and it was it was just neat. It, and the bulk of that volume two is the you know the quartet, the Utopia years. So that that picture really. You know, shows what's inside. I mean, this is yep. what most of the book is about. Is that that quartet? Okay. Yeah, it does. I got. I had to get permission to use that when I got that. I had to get permission to use that from Sally Grossman in uh, in Bearsville. It was kind of neat. I had to wait two and a half months till she came back from uh, her her chateau. So that was that was really <laughs> kind of neat. I, I was happy when when I finally got it. All it was, I waited two and a half months, and all I got was this piece of paper that said, "I hereby give you permission," hand handwritten over my fax machine. <laughs> And it is a black and white photo, though. It is uh, this one's yeah. black and white with some bills put color, you know, brilliant colors around it, yeah. and and yeah. uh, um, some and nice photos in, in the in the in it so far. There's a great photo of of, of when 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 you know when BB uh, comes in, and and uh, uh, and then and then uh, there's another one there. I think when he first met Bean, right right about I think it was in Texas in '77 tour or whatever. But it's just so neat. She's sitting sitting there in that costume that she wore when she did the little ballerina thing right. <laughs> on the '78 tour. It's just a nice, nice and Todd's kind of just kind of slunk there. I think it's post show. He's just kind of worn out from having performed. It's just a nice. It's really beautiful photos. It's just it's, in keeping with the first book, the, the photos are, are just as good in the second one. Y'all could talk about a lot of rare. You're gonna make people want it faster than you're gonna put it out now. Yeah, the back <laughs> that sounds good. What is there? For a guy like me who who really is totally clueless about when Moogie was in Utopia, some of these days back then, that was before my time. Am I going to be able to get up to speed on that in this book? Well, you know, I mean, again, Moogie, by by the time this book uh, comes out, the only thing that uh, he had wind up doing was the back to the bars thing, which they talk. It's one thing I, I do. One good thing that really did come out of this this book was that you know, uh, and I'll explain in the back to the bars, uh, you know the. 
Todd uh, had asked Mookie to come back and, and do this thing in the New York shows. I guess it was, you know, in, at the bottom line. I think they did. How many shows did they do, Tony? Like a town Well, they did a series of shows at the bottom line, and then they went out to the Roxy. I think they did about a week at each place. Or right. Well, the, the week in, in uh, um, New York, uh, you know, it was John Siegler and uh, Willie and Moogie was playing keyboards. Yeah, that was and a special band for those those two sets of shows. And on on the opening night, which this is in the book, I guess I'll relay it. It's kind of an interesting thing. Um, Ralph Chuckett was invited to come and guest at the show, mm-hmm. and uh, who was the other keyboard player from the original Utopia band. And uh, evidently, Moogie and Ralph got into a huge argument. I, I think, to the, as I understand it, that uh, Ralph was a little upset that he wasn't asked to join the band again too to do this tour. And uh, he really let in on on Moogie about it, and they got into a really horrible argument that night, and never spoke again. Hmm. And that's back in '78. Well, when I started conducting the interviews and this and that, it brought a lot of nostalgia to all the members. And actually, Moogie and Ralph, you know, uh, Moogie called Ralph, and and or vice versa, I can't remember, but they actually did link up together after something like what 30 years, something like that, or 20 something years. So that was that was kind of neat. But uh, but. Uh, that night, that that was kind of interesting. He did come out and do a guest thing on on that show. But other than the, the only thing about Moogie, it, it's he does that bottom line shows, and then there's a little thing about the uh, you know he brought the meatloaf project to Todd, and then you know there was a bit of a falling out over that. Now this is is this because I saw Frog's name. Is this part of the first book really? Because I haven't finished the first book. Is, is most of that in the first book or in the second book? No, about what the Moogie stuff you're talking about now. No, yeah, the 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 early Moogie stuff about the early band that's all in the first book. Okay. You know, and I don't think there's going to be anything in the second book that Moogie's going to be unhappy with or Todd's going to be unhappy with him no. saying, you know, we've gone through no. it. And, yeah, you and know, it. I mean, the focus of most of it is really on the brilliant musicianship and the innovation Absolutely. and all that. The interpersonal things are are, are nice uh, to know in the book, but it's just it's it's just interesting what you learn when you when you. You know, you're a fan of this from a distance, and you buy the records, and you go to the shows, and then then you hear the guys talking. You go, "Wow, that's how they did that," or "This is this is how that worked," or "This is when they recorded that," or "This is what right. was going on." It's just kind of neat. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in hearing about. You know, who who all was in, how did they get started, those type of things. But we're at the top of the hour, and I saw in the chat room that Dustin Twenty Nine is here, and he has created the idea of bio breaks on the show. So why don't we take one of those right quick and come back, and I want to talk to you about spinal tap situation which you'll understand what i'm saying when we come back but i'm going to play and tony uh correct me if i'm wrong this is a rare last of the new way riders from syracuse 1979 is i don't know if it's that rare but it's it's a a good uh it's a good uh, recording and it would have been uh a fahrenheit 451 release had we gotten that far but okay here we go we're going to play that and we'll be right back and we're going to continue to talk about a dream goes on forever with billy james and tony rogers here we go
How about that? Yeah, yeah. That was great. A little utopia, a little chasm Sultan singing. You know, it's a good thing he's got a good voice because he certainly doesn't have any good looks. <laughs> just kidding there, Cruiser Mail. I know she's going, oh, he did not just say that. All right, so there we go. We actually have a surprise caller that wants to talk with you guys. So, Moogie, is that you? That's me, yeah. What's up? Hey, Moogie. I, I just want to clear up a, a, a few things. All right. I was listening. Um, it is true that I hadn't talked to Ralph. And uh, since that, that gig in 78, the Back to the Bars. Right. But that was not me. I was a, a very close friend of Ralph's for years, and it was really all him. I would have uh, talked to him the next day. I did make phone calls to the guy. I did inquire. And uh, he was he mad just, too. He, he just, was... well, year after year, and then to read what he said about me in the book was really shocking as uh, I had brought Ralph to New York to play in my band, and then I got him in, into the Todd Band in Utopia. So he kind of unloaded on me in that book, and uh, it was a little surprising. Um, but uh, I guess some people bear grudges um, over, I guess, what, that he had. I had been invited to play at the bottom line instead of Ralph. I mean, Todd invited him to sit in, so it was no big deal, I guess, because I was getting paid. I don't know. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that um I'm not that kind of a fella. I don't I don't bear grudges against anyone. And uh I was always open to having a relationship with Ralph again. Uh he did around the book uh eventually call me and email me and uh we did get friendly for for a few a few months there and he did write this email which I think I forwarded on to Billy about how playing in Woogie and the Rhythm Kings had been this great musical experience yeah, yeah. for him. And he would, he would always remember it. So, um, uh, I, th I think he has nothing but good, good feelings for you, Moogie. And, and frankly, you know, I have to say also, you know, Moogie's always said, you know, he, he, any time Todd would ever want to do something, he definitely want, you know, if it was something he'd like to do, he would do it. So I, I you know, it's it's never and, and I you know in the book and stuff it's most of the stuff Moogie had said was only great and good things about working in the band and and I you know I, it may have come off a little bit sounding different but the truth of the matter I think there's nothing but uh, the great things that came out of that band and and uh, you know well again you're talking about a period a time period when everybody was a lot younger and and none of us will sit back and look at that age and say we were the perfect human beings I don't think if you do. You need a gut check. But, Moogie, what did you think about the first book? I mean, you were in it a lot. I've, I've been able to read some of the pages. Uh, where you, yeah, where, did it, you like it, it? it's amazing. It, it, is, it is good. Um, it's a lot of memories there. I'm amazed that everyone opened up to you, that you got Ralph and John Siegler uh, and John Wilcox and, and Kaz, just all to open up. Uh, that was pretty amazing. The, the most amazing aspect of the book getting back to ralph shuckett right. is at some point in the book a dream goes on forever you're asking what we got paid in utopia and um i'm saying well we were getting two three four hundred maybe Siegler was saying well we were getting four five six and then ralph said yeah i was making 750 a week <laughs> so what i found out is ralph had renegotiated like a a higher salary from Todd. I never thought of doing that. I never thought of going to Todd and saying, listen, you got to pay me double what you're playing those guys because uh, I need the money. Or so so you know, when I found out he was making seven fifty a week um, and I was getting, what, three or four, when I had brought him in the band, that, that kind of hurt a little bit, and, and that's there in the book. 
Um, and um, I did try to unionize the band at one point. Uh, I mean, the guys, so that we could try to make a better deal with Todd. Ultimately, Utopia 2 worked out a really good financial deal with Todd. I guess as a result of Utopia 1 uh, flying the coop. Uh, you know, some of us were getting paid pretty minimally, and when other opportunities came up, we took those opportunities uh, because the money was so low. And uh, it never occurred to me to squeeze him for more bed, and I guess it never occurred to him to, to offer me more money. So that's never the way things went. Never good to talk about salary with other workers because there's always some of those situations. But well, it's I, good to have a union, though. It's yeah. good to unionize. Like if the whole band went in there and said, "Okay, we got to get paid on these albums. We got to get a percentage of the sales," which we which we didn't, um, it would have been a, a better situation, and probably the the band might have held together more. Uh, but the, I believe the second Utopia, they did get a really good deal out of Todd. And well, I think and, they all became equal members after the the which is something completely different with you guys. But but at the very minimal, you know, I mean, the records that you did work with, Amoogie, were just absolutely incredible, you know. And to some people, those are the best records, you know. I mean, some people love the quartet, some love the whole thing. You know, I mean, some of those early records are just absolutely incredible, you know. I think and, most and people to, would say, I think most of the fans would say that that was the period that they recognized the most as being the classic I mean, we all want a we all want an original Utopia reunion. Let's face it, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that'll ever happen. You know, I don't know if a, a Utopia reunion of any sort will ever happen. But you know, I mean, everybody loves that early band. There's no question about that. Well, I, I have talked to Willie uh, Siegler. I don't think he's ever coming back. Ralph, I'm sure if the money was right, he'd be back in a flash. Um, Chasm, I know, wants to do it. There, so there might be a Utopia reunion in the future. The, the the question is, would the first Utopia members be a part of it? Hopefully some of us would. Uh, I think more and more Todd might be thinking about that reunion as he goes on to try various musical adventures with anyone uh, from uh, Ringo Starr to the cards. Right. Uh, and, and they seem to be paying incredible amounts of money to bands from back then for having reunions. Right. So if all else fails, maybe financial offers might force him to do it. You could do a little VH1 reunion, maybe get them on, get them involved. Moogie, how was your show, your war show, your anti-war show? Uh, the, war, the war show was great. I have a show coming up this Saturday for anybody in New York City. I'm playing at the Cutting Room. Uh, with a couple of my bands. I got a blues band, I got a rock band, and the cutting room is closing, uh, next month. Really? Right. Yeah, it's yeah. Chris Noss Club. It's from, uh, he's from Sex and the City, big, and, and, and it's just been like the premier rock club in the city for a long time, so it's very sad. So we're doing a farewell concert this Saturday night, January 5th. If anyone's around, Professor Erwin Corey, the world's foremost authority, He's a comedian. I think you might have remembered him if you were a kid way back on Johnny Carson and uh, uh, Ed Sullivan. He wore funny sneakers. He was a little guy that double-talked. Anyway, he's on the bill with me. He's 93 years old, oh, and he's the world's <laughs> oldest living comedian, yeah. and he is a laugh riot. <laughs> that's, I bet so, that's good. So the cutting room is owned by Big from Sex and the City, and why right, are they right. going out of business, or why are they closed? Well, the same reason all the music clubs are going out of business is that the leases come up, and the landlords, uh, instead of being reasonable or semi-reasonable, they want to triple and quadruple the rents, and it forces the music rooms to shut in mass. 
they've been closing here in Manhattan at the rate of about one a week. They're getting to be a lot fewer places to play. So, Maybe uh, TVs, my God. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is. It is sad. If any of uh, your, your listeners are in the tri-state area, please come down Saturday night, Jan fifth. And uh, Billy, I'm looking forward to book two. Uh, it's coming out this year. Yeah, and and now I'll, I'll send you the stuff that you're you're, you're you'll see you'll like. <laughs> okay, good. I don't know about. And I also got to send you. Don't you ever learn too? I'm I'm still finishing it up. So uh-huh, yeah, for the hearing. album. Okay, well right, that's right. Great. Right. Well, keep up the good work, guys, and Thanks, uh, all, all power to the uh, the Rundgren fans out there who still make it out to the shows and and are 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 still keeping uh, his music alive. Well, we we appreciate it, Moogie. Thanks, thanks. Hey, as thanks always. for calling, Moogie. Hope right. people can make it out to your show, and uh, we look forward to having you on again sometime soon. All right. Take care. Take thanks, care. Man. All right. Moogie calling up to clear the air on. That was a surprise. Well, yeah, yeah, he's an amazing keyboard player. I mean, he's just absolutely incredible. You know, yeah. there's no question about that. Well, I had a feeling he was going to call. He had um, just sent me an email I was looking at right when I saw that number and I knew that area code. I said, all right, that's going to be kind of fun. But, you know, he, he had good things to say about the book, so that's all good. good. Yeah, good. and looking forward to number two. But uh, we had him on the show, I don't know, just a couple well, – I don't even think it's been a month ago, maybe a month or so ago. And we'll have – you know, of course, Willie on, and hopefully Moogie will call and talk to him, too. That'd be kind of fun. I'm yeah. actually, I hate to reveal a secret, but I'm trying to get several of the Utopia guys to call in when Willie's on, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you some questions, because Moogie was in one of these questions. We may have already addressed this, so I might not even ask it again. But um, let me ask you some of the questions from France. Helios Marzal wanted to ask. Yeah, I want to mention Helios is a guy who's helped me out. You know, he, he is well. I've sent some some of the text to you know the manuscript to on volume two and he's emailed me back his uh some uh things about it and this and that and he also contributed he had sent this a uh, very rare uh i think it's from the french raw lp it's a uh, rare version of com- it's communion with the sun right tony sure is it's a- yeah and it's a different version either i think the the intro is a lot longer or it's like almost twice as long something like that uh, before it's, it's a totally different take. I mean, you can hear it's a different performance. It's not a different mix. It was uh, they recorded part of the album with Eddie Offord, and part of the album I think they did a live in studio thing when they were over there in that. And that might be, you know, one of them might be the Offord recording, and one, the, you know, in that version might be the the live in the studio. Because uh, and Roger talks about it in his book that uh, they didn't like the mix of it, and that's why they had Eddie Offord uh, from Yes, the uh, the producer from Yes, do some. Uh, um, I guess engineering on. I can't imagine he was producing it because Todd produces everything, but he obviously was engineering, I guess. But uh, um, so I don't know. But it's a very rare version. But anyway, yeah, he, he did Helios. He did uh, uh, contribute quite a bit to the book so far. Okay, okay. Caller six one six. I'll get with you in a minute if you don't mind. I want to read this email first so we can get to these questions. He he want to give a special hello from France to you guys, of course, and he's hoping that volume two will be released soon. So he wants to know what other projects right now that Billy James is working on. Um, well, I, you know, one, I'll make this real quick. Is that one of them was the ill-fated uh, Joey Mullen Badfinger book, which I don't know is ever going to come out again because uh, uh, just uh, we had finished the complete thing, and uh, I'd interviewed Joey, and a wonderful book. I mean, if you want, if you love Badfinger, you love this book. And Joey is not the villain that uh, he was made out to be in that that other Badfinger book, even though the other one is really good. I can't even remember the name of it now, but uh, he's not the villain that the uh, the author of that book. Put
put him out to be. Joe is a very sweet guy, and and is a lot he contributed in a major amount to his bad friend. But anyway, that's one thing. I wrote a book with him. I don't know if it'll ever come out. Um, I, I do music publicity, which is one thing, and I'm working with a lot of different bands right now. And like I said, Godley and Goldman of uh, 10CC, which I'm a very big Kevin Godley fan, by the way. So it's an honor to be working with him. I'm uh, a progressive rock band called Nectar. I'm supposed to be start working with, and again, this is doing publicity for them. I'm also uh, working on my. Uh, I have. I do music myself under the artist name of Ant B A N T Dash B E E. And uh, I have a lot, quite a few musicians who work with me on my new record that I'm trying to finish, my fourth album. I've got members of Bunk Gardner and Don Preston and Napoleon Murphy Brock from Zap and the Mothers. I've got uh, Zudhorn Rollo and Rocket Morton from Beef Hearts Band on the record. I've got Peter Banks from Yes, Jan Ackerman from Focus, uh, Jilly Smythe and David Allen from Gong. I'm a very big Gong fan, if anybody's heard of them. Uh, Steve Hillage, who Todd produced, came from Gong. And Moogie, of course, plays. And actually, I'm doing a version of Don't You Ever Learn, which Napoleon Murphy Brock, who was Zappa's lead vocalist, and Bunk and Donna, the mothers, they play on there, and then Moogie does all the keyboards to it. So it's kind of the That'd mother's be utopia. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. And uh, So th- those are the main projects right now, and then trying to gear up for trying to do Volume 2. I mean, I've been just so involved in trying to get Volume uh, I'm sorry, Volume 3, but trying to get Volume 2 done. And, and once again, the reason why it's taken so long, people want to know, and I'll make it quick, is that originally I had some financing from vo- for Volume 1. Uh, the book did not sell very well, so the financing was taken away, other than by a few in the independent private donations here and there, which will go uh, un- uh, undisclosed. But the, other than that, so it was me working on weekends and late at night, you know, and, and when you're doing a 500-page book, that can take, obviously years yeah what's what's the best place if people are listening tonight want to buy this book to help out and to increase the statistics on the first version where's the best place for them buying that helps you i mean is amazon a good place or is you, that know, you go to amazon you go to the golden treasures publishing.com or you can go to barnes and noble website and order them you know i mean i had to call around a lot of the bigger bookstores around you know i'm out of north i'm in north carolina but you know i had to call i have friends who work at bookstores out in los angeles and uh some in New York, and had to have them, uh, you know, Ed McCarthy. He had to call, you know, had to call the bookstores, ask them to bring the thing in because they just, well, for some reason, and, and again, it comes to that whole thing about nobody knowing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just, uh, you know, your average person doesn't know who Todd is. They know, hello, it's me, and they know all these other things, but they don't. He's not a household name. He, he was in the '70s, but he's not today, unfortunately. Sure. And so it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's more difficult to get places to promote this thing. Now, I, sure would be know, good to have it at the shows, you know, if they do merch counters again. Um, you know, they had Liars you know, and Chasm CD there. And yeah, you know, we didn't on. have any problem with that. Todd was very, I should say, Todd was very cooperative with that. And when we, his 2003 tour, he, he let us put flyers on the... Um, oh, that's good. Right, but I think we I spoke with Eric Gardner about selling the books there, and there was some problem with the fact that as much money as they wanted for him or something like this, it wouldn't have, uh, the publisher wasn't going to be able to make it. I, I don't know what it was, but it didn't look like it was going to pan out. And, and uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, if they're going to take the books on. And, and uh, you know, again, I'm going to send Todd most likely the, the manuscript again and let him look at it. And, you know, it's, it's up to him if he wants to edit or take any things out or whatever. I'm not a mind reader, so I'm <laughs> hopefully he'll like it. But, he, you know, once again, who am I to write a history on Todd Rundgren? Well, that's you know? the next question from HM. Before I do that, I want to ask you, you sent me uh, some music from you, and I'm going to try to play it at the end of the show. You know, time is flying because you all got so much information. But well, okay. if I do play it, what is it? What is it you sent me? 
Well, years ago, you know, when I did my second Aunt B record, I did a, uh, a cover version of the. I'm a big Beach Boys Smile fan, just like Todd is as well, and and uh, I love that early, the early Smile outtakes and stuff. I know Brian redid the thing, which was quite amazing, but the original Smile album that the you know the, the Beach Boys uh, Sergeant Pepper that never came out. Uh, years ago, when I was recording my second Aunt B record in Los Angeles, I decided to do a cover version of one of the only unreleased tracks on Smile called Do You Like Worms, and I used uh, Captain Beefheart's bass player on that, and uh, I forgot who else was on it. But uh, So at any rate, uh, somehow when I finished the recording, someone had gotten a, a rough mix of it, and it sent it to a radio station saying that it was an unreleased version. It was like an unreleased outtake from the Smile sessions. Now, again, I recorded this thing in 1989. Smile was recorded in 66, 67, <laughs> which I was, I was six years old in 66. So... Um, it's so from that, close, it got played on this, this. It got played on this this uh, radio show as an unreleased Beach Boys track, <laughs> uh, and then next thing I know, it's wound up on all these very elaborate bootleg recordings. One is this beautiful three LP set out of England that has uh, with a track sheet, and it has uh, my track. It's this weird. Something they had somehow edited talking from Brian right after my, you know, the my track, you know, my my version of the song. And, uh, but saying is, it's, you know, and in the track sheet, it says it was from November 1966. And, uh, and it's on several nice CDs and LPs. And for years, I've had to sit there and, and say, you know, that's me. That's my version of the track. It's an Aunt B cover. It's not the Beach Boys, you know. I mean, obviously, if you really know the Beach Boys, it's, you can tell. But, uh, so for years, and finally, uh, when, uh, Brian did this, uh, uh, the Smile tour, um, he in the tour book they mention in the tour book that I was one of the first artists to do a cover version of Do You Like Worms. So it finally, you know, it, it explains the mystery of where that track actually came from. Because I mean, there's so many. I've been on news groups and stuff, and they're saying, oh, it's the members of the Mothers of Invention and Beefheart's band together doing a thing from the early 70s. I mean, it's all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. And it's nice that I finally got recognized and from from the genius Brian Wilson in his in his tour book. So I was like a great honor but that's what it is it's do you like worms and then i did a another version recently of barnyard which is another piece from the uh, thing but that's what those tracks are do you like worms okay well i got several questions from hm as we like to call them on the tr connection but i'm gonna ask you one more and then i'm gonna take our caller so he doesn't have to hold our sheath for too long do you think or do you know if todd ever read volume one um yeah i believe he, he read the whole thing i'm sure he well, did he did i i I talked to him at a party uh, in 2003 that I was with at Liz's, and he told me that he'd read it at that point, yeah. The patronette party? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He said he read it. Did he give you any commentary, like whether he liked it or disliked it? Uh, you know, I, I, he got into some things that he he didn't like. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's a big fan of the biography format, so I, you know. I understand made, it. I mean, how kind of clear that, you know, if somebody wrote a book about you, I don't think you'd really That's right. Well, if, I, if you went back and talked to people. Well, that's right. And, and, you <laughs> Especially know, some and, of the ladies back in high school and college, uh, it probably wouldn't be pretty. But, I mean, that being said, he was very gracious. So, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's you know, a once difficult again, it's, situation. I, I pretty much had... I think that party was right almost as soon as the book was released. So well, you know, you look at new. you look at the when you when you guys get into and maybe even this volume, volume two, when you get a little bit closer to where we are today, and and you get past w when he was really young and and you know learning about life and and making changes and and all these type of things, uh, I bet it becomes more favorable because you can't help but look back all of us and well, look back I, in those yeah. days and see that we 
were different and that we may have made mistakes and these different kind of things. Yeah. And so now, I mean, i got to think, you know, the further along you get in that book, I think the more positive yeah. feedback you're well, going to get from people. I think, and I don't think it's unfavorable anyway, Doug. I think it's one thing that a lot of people have had. That's one point that's repeatedly stressed in the book. I think Todd's very much misunderstood. I think you can point to very many concrete examples in his in his uh, career where they go almost exactly against what his reputation is. I mean, he had the reputation long before we wrote the book and all the magazines and all the articles written about him as being a, a, a very demanding taskmaster and, and not having a lot of patience with people that sure. can't keep up with him. And, and you know, I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think his book in any way added to that. I, I think what the book points out, and especially the second book I think does too, is that there's a lot of situations where, you know, if he was a certain way, he he would have done something. For instance, that whole idea about Chasm at the beginning, well, what ends up happening in the end and Chasm comes into band is he relents. Mm-hmm. You know, now, what kind of a person at the peak of their uh, in, of their com- commercial success at, at that point would actually say, you know, I'll we'll go ahead and, and I'll listen to what you guys say and we'll bring this other guy in the, in the band rather than the guy that I said. Right, I'm with you. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. That's not something that somebody arrogant or or or, sure. or, well, or something does. That's well, again, what, what everybody has said that's been on is that the utopia was a democracy. But again, okay. utopia is volume two. We're talking, you know, well, volume one. It was a one, democracy, but it, it was a it was a democracy was still a dictator. I mean, there's no question about that. Well, you, you know, <laughs> you, sometimes you know, he's you still, still the boss no matter what. I mean, there's no that's stressed you know, enough. Hey. One thing about not liking the. the the thing is, is that you know the reason. If I would have written the book with Todd, in other words, if if I had been the co-author, where I had just interviewed him the whole way through, mm-hmm. then yes, it it would have been completely in his control and completely from his point of view. See, the problem is, it's all these different people's point of views, and I'm sure from his from his feelings. Well, these people don't know me; they don't know, and a lot of the stuff isn't right, and this isn't true. And then who's this guy that doesn't even know me? This guy Billy Jane, he doesn't know who I am. So how can he write a book about me? Right. You know, so I mean there's there's that aspect of it. I mean, look, if I'd have once again, if I'd have written a book about Zappa on on the level, you know, I mean, the one I did, I did it with all the early mothers. You know, I interviewed all them. But I'm sure, you know, Frank is not going to like, would have not liked any book other than something that came directly from him that's, under his complete that's control. Probably that's probably true. That's anybody. the thing with Todd, you know. I mean, he's just not, there's no way he's going to say, oh, this is a great, I mean, I, I, I was anticipating that, that he wasn't going to. The only thing, like I said, that I asked him, you know, first I asked him, can, you know, can we write the book together? And I got that no, that, uh, you know, I'm doing my own biography, but I surely have no problem with you doing the book. So, I mean... You know, he could have told me no, and I would have not done it. Right at that point, I said, okay, I, will, I won't do it. You know, I mean, I would have not done it, even though I had the right to do any book I want. But, you know, I'm doing it because of my respect at a Todd and that, you know, and, and look, if my books are all right, then, you know, maybe somebody else is going to take all that material and cut all the fat out of it and, and write one great, precise book out of all the three monster volumes I've done. I don't know. You know, or maybe he'll take it and go through these books and say, well, this isn't right and this is right, and I'm going to correct just it like Moogie when his did. book comes out. You know? <laughs> yeah, just like Moogie did. But, I mean, you know, all you did essentially to me is, is just like what I do on these shows. I get people to give me information, and I can't correct them or tell them they're right or wrong. I've got to go with what they tell me and and then let the people hear and judge for themselves. And so I don't know that, that – and I'm not saying I don't think this book is that negative. My, my point is this, though. The period that you did in Volume 1 involves – Band breakups, 
And there's no way that that whole story on a band breakup is going to spin positive. You know, and so what I mean is when you get into the current times, you know, now you're talking about Todd doing things on his own, and he's got people like Chasm and Prairie Prince that will pretty much drop what they're doing to tour with the guy. Right. So I do think well, that I've you're going to see a, a different spin on, on in the books, and, and that's just because of the time period, not because the book's bad. I'm not criticizing the book, and I'm not criticizing the people in it. They're different time periods and different times in your life. And so sure. back then he was young, and he and these bands broke up. I mean, if you think that's going to be a positive story, then, you know, come on. It's not going to happen. There's got to be something, and that's what people want to know, what happened, and they can form their own opinion, you know. It, it's Everything's different. But I do want to talk to you about one thing in there, because this, this kind of cracks me up, because, and I know she's listening to the show tonight, so I definitely want to bring this up. But I love the movie Spinal Tap. You guys, I'm sure, like that as well, right? Of course. Okay, I love it when a girlfriend comes in and decides to take over the band. <laughs> cracks me up. Because you know this stuff happens. Yeah. Now, oh, well, let me tell you. Yeah. Now, I know this isn't what happened with the NAS because um, Darnell never came in to be the manager of the band. But you've got a couple things in here where they say it's not her and it was. But there's a quote and from John Curlin who says that the band broke up because of a girl. Now, keep in mind, people that haven't read this book, he's responding to everybody blaming him from what I get for, right. for the band breaking up. So I want to get your comment on that because I think it's hilarious because Darnell's still in yeah, the I don't know if there was any girls involved at that point yeah. when they were all living in the house there. At the, yeah. well, no, I think the band broke up because the uh, the other three just, once again, got along and partied together, Stuky, Tom, and uh, Carson, and then the uh, Todd wasn't into hanging out with them and this and that. And at that point in time, Todd was a teetotaler, didn't yeah. smoke, or didn't do any drugs or anything like that and was totally offended by it. And, and uh, so, you know, I mean, they just, you know, it was, that was just more of like a personality conflict. And, and uh, you know, once again, the management was, wasn't, wasn't up to snuff either. You know, they, they, thought they were the Beatles. The, before yeah, Carson actually flew the coop first, and he? Didn't he go to become a, uh, an artist or something first? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so I just want to set the record straight, basically, that uh, Darnell did not break up the NAS. That's all. <laughs> That's the only place I'm going I with that. I anything about that. Yeah, yeah I got you. They, he did say something about I do that. speak to Stuky quite a bit as well, you know what I mean? And he's still out there plugging the NAS, yeah, his version of the NAS, and his voice is just as, sounds exactly like it did uh, 30 years ago. So, I mean, don't forget Stuky, everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, Stuky was actually, you can see pictures of him, too, when he did some stuff with Moogie recently. If you go to MoogieMusic.com, right. you know, he's still out there, and there was apparently he was doing some shows under the name uh, Naz. No, he, our... he goes under the Naz. That's yeah. his band. Okay, you know, good deal. He's got, a, he's got a really hot, tight band, and they're out there, and they're yeah. trying to get gigs and this and that. You know, and That was really a great good. story, too, in your book about the name, the Naz, and how Alice Cooper and them had it originally. Uh, that's that's pretty good stuff. If you haven't read the book, you got to read it. It's uh, a very interesting story about the name and how, that, how Alice Cooper's name came about and how originally that group had... The NAS is their name. 616, we got you on air. What you got for us? Hey, Doug. It's Dustin. Hey, Dustin. What's up, man? Did you like the bio break? Hey, I did. Thank Good. you very much. <laughs> hey, guys. I uh, got the book out on my coffee table as a kind of a shock value as people walk into my home. And uh, <laughs> I've been asked on the back cover, it says, The Unbelievable Story of Rock's Lost Genius is Now Ready to Be Told. And then it says, Utopia is Here. If people ask me, what do you mean by Rock's lost genius, how would you guys wrap that up as I could tell to people 
when they walk into my home, because this book sits right out on my coffee table. Well, hey, I think that Bill Brickard coined that. I'm not sure, but I think he wrote the back thing for me. I could be mistaken. Or, Tony, you might have wrote that. But uh, in my opinion, what it means is that, uh, as I was saying all along here now, it's the, he's done a ton of unbelievably uh, innovative musical um you know, musical things, a better word, you know, and not to mention worked with so many famous musicians and have produced so many hit records, yet hardly anybody. You mentioned Todd Rundgren, and, and I'm sorry to say this, but you ask your average person and they go, who? They don't know. You can say, you can say Frank Zappa or you say Alice Cooper or you say someone like that, and they know who it is, but you say Todd Rundgren and they go, who? And that's the thing. He is, he is a musical genius. He's one of our, he, he's up there with Robert Fripp and, and uh, Brian Wilson and uh, John and Paul, you know, but he's not recognized like that. So, yes, he, he is a genius. He's one of these great geniuses of music that just, you know, I, once again, you know, he, he's not, he, he doesn't get the just critical acclaim that he deserves. Now, maybe he will or maybe he won't one day. I mean, he's still surviving and still putting albums out and still, you know, being able to live as a musician. So, you know, that's, that's one great thing. You know, to be able to do that's an amazing thing after so long. But, you know, I mean, he he is a musical genius. I mean, he he's so much more to. He can write so much pop songs. I mean, could could can come out and sleep. You know, I mean, if he wanted to, compared to any of these bands that get such praise, and you know, from Coldplay to Matchbox Twenty, all all these different bands today. Well, Todd can write and sleep songs better than any one of these guys. You know, but. You know, it just it, it he he's just not he's just not uh, he he's not recognized like he should. You know, and music isn't fair. Rock and roll's not pretty. You know, they always say so. That's the problem. Yeah, and I think you that's know. what we mean by lost. We mean lost to, to the list, not that he's lost and off wandering. Certainly, you know, Billy and I have said earlier. He's no Sid Barrett, lost like that. You yeah, know. liars is is to me. And I've been a long time fan. I think it's one of the greatest ever. I would put it probably in the top five of all time. Me too. I mean, for for him. So Me too. Uh, I think he's just absolutely as brilliant as he as he's ever been. Right. He's aging certainly, but it's 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 a different time. That's one of the problems you have. You're not going to appeal to to the mass of 25 or 30 year olds at this point, uh, unless you're you know, unless you've been you know gotten a, a certain niche like uh, maybe Neil Young to be the king of grunge or something. But now you can but, say bang the drum. That's the other one. Remember, you know yeah, they won't know yeah. Todd Rundgren. But go, oh, you, did you remember the song yeah. Bang the Drum? Yeah, I remember that song. Yeah, you know, but the they don't game. know the the name. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, if I can say this, um, Doug heard it before. I've got a 21 year old son, and you guys, you said uh, um, um, Paul and John, and I've got a 20 year old son who's very much into the Beatles and especially John and Paul right now. Oh, good. And he is, um, you know, he always heard Todd in the home growing up, but he was never a huge Todd fan until Liars. He heard me play that, and he said, he said, Dad, he goes, that's that's incredible. And you know, you say Coldplay, yeah, he's my son listens to Coldplay, and um, but it's just, you know, to, to use that, I mean, as promotion. My son, right now, I mean, if you went down into our basement, he's got a little theater and computer thing going on there. It's all John and Paul and Todd. You know, that's, that's, my son's 11 and a half. It's Jethro Tull, Todd, Yes, Zappa, and uh, King Crimson. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it, it's, 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 he's 11 and a half. That's great. And, and, you know, and that's what, you know, my son heard it all of his life. And it's nothing that's ever been pushed on him. He just heard it in the house. But when Liars came out, he said, you know, that's, just amazing, and uh, he's seen many shows, and 
we're going to Park West on the 25th, and then we're going to Detroit after that. And it's without question. No, I don't even ask him if he wants to go. He just, yeah, I want to go. And so he's catching up to me on how many shows he's seen with Todd now. But uh, um, I found that quote on the back of the book interesting, and I wanted to ask you that. Thanks, Dustin, for giving us a call, man. Thank you. I guess the easy way you could answer, too, is just say this guy's one of the greatest musicians and producers and and music history, and he's my favorite artist, and he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so therefore he's a lost genius. How about that? Right, exactly. (laughs) Right on. Okay, we got a call. Here we go. I'm hoping it's going to be fun. This is Darnell from California. I got a feeling because I can see that area code. Oh, wait. Let me find her here. Darnell. Hey, there you are. Is that you? It's me. What's up? Hello, it's me. Hi. Hey. Hi. I'm not, um, I'm, what do you mean you hope it's going to be fun? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fun. I was having fun with you, so I hope you're going to have fun with me. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Good. I thought it was funny. And, and well... Here's a little tidbit. As we all know, John Curlin was madly in love with Todd. Right, right. And Tom. So, um, uh, excuse me. Okay, I, I did read that in the book. I got your reference. Okay. Yeah, you, that, you, that was yeah, it was really tastefully uh, written. In the okay. Book. Yeah. Very good. Okay. All right. Um, madly in love, as in really madly in love. Okay. Right. Yeah, he had a crush on him. Very good. <laughs> um, but I did live in the house in, in Great Neck with the guys, and with, when Todd was a teetotaler, and. Um, yeah, when they broke up, it was it was a matter of well, Carson didn't want to be in the band anymore because they never played, and and um, Todd's the talent of the band. Come on now, <laughs> I mean, he had so many things he wanted to do, and yeah, he was cocky when he was young, but it's it was like a kid on a mission. I've never seen anybody move so fast work so fast and he's just always been like a right. high achiever did you read the book darnell yeah now what what do you think about him you know they never used your name did that bother you what the, you, your name's that. not mentioned there Kurt. none of the guys not you guys the guys that quoted that blamed it on you never said your name is that good or bad? I, th- I think he said the girl. I think he the said girl. girls. So I'm a girl from California. <laughs> That's you. No, I met them the the very first day they came to to Los Angeles. So, um, you know, I don't care whether they. Did you know Carlin though? Yeah. Did I mean? Did you like him blaming you for that? Um, I didn't care. I got to go to England with him the first time they went to England. I yeah. went as supposedly they told Screen Gems I was the secretary. I had to get a little blue <laughs> typewriter off the um, plane, and 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 John Curlin would say like, "Okay, we're having an interview. You have to make these tea for these people." And hey, go buy some groceries and stuff. And he'd give me English money, and I was like, I maybe had just turned eighteen, wow. and and I was I was like looking at this money like. This is my first time away from home. Was going to New York and then going to England with those guys. So, well, did you think that the what a call, huh? Yeah, <laughs> no kid. Did you think that the book accurately described? I mean, I know, you know, they they did a great job. I think with the book, I'm enjoying it. Do well, you, you got to remember they... the Naz years. The only really the only one I was able to track down personally was, and, and you know, I still work with Stuky right now, is because uh, I do publicity for him. But with Stuky, so again, most of that stuff is coming from his point of view other than right. there was some other previous interview stuff from the other two guys that I, I got permission to use. So you got in the bulk of that stuff is, is really from Stuckey's point of view. Well, well he was in the NAS. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I mean, right. Um, what, would you add anything there, Darnell, you thought that, uh, you know, based on what you read in there, that would be 
something of interest or anything you would add to that or something you thought maybe that was kind of questionable or do you think it was pretty much dead on? It was pretty much dead on. I don't think Todd got along that well with Stuckey, actually. No, and, he didn't. And Tom was pretty much in kind of in the background. Tom lives in California still now. I mean, I know where Tom is. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, was it true he was, yeah, I'm going to get to delve into the book here because I did get that part. Was it true he got to where, you know, he really just didn't want to play? So, you know, Todd would say, hey, do this, and he would, you know, refuse to play the drums for that certain type of thing because he didn't like it. I mean, was I think he originally like, you got to remember the Naz were supposed to be like a kind of a Beatles rock and roll band, and then right. Todd started, you know, putting the Laura Nero influence in there and a lot of different, um, you know, styles of music that those guys weren't. You know, they wanted to play like the Who and the Yardbirds. Exactly. And here he's throwing in, you know, a lot of stuff that probably musically was a bit over their heads, and so yeah, they, you know, I mean, and again, they're kids. So I'm not going to play that. You know, I mean, it it really came from a lot of just, you know, inexperience of being musicians, A, and not understanding, again, like she said, he's so far advanced compared to those guys, you know. they. Completely. You know, not 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 to belittle their, you know, I mean, I think those those. Not at all. Those are just The first two Naz records are great, and it's too bad that if anybody would have, I've got some of the, you know, early tapes of the Fungo Bat double album that should have come out, and and that would have been incredible. But incredible. Yep. So, Darnell, did you see anything? I mean, do you remember, did you have any Spinal Tap moments where you were getting in the middle of any of these fights? No. Um, I was on the balcony when we were shooting off uh, fireworks on Guy Fox days. <laughs> <laughs> when we were in England, because, you know, they wouldn't let them record, so we were shooting off fireworks, and it went into somebody's window, and the police came, and we were off that balcony faster than you could say. Get out of Dodge. That was some pretty, pretty crazy stuff, and there were a couple different theories about that. What, why do you think, because I know the book has a couple of different theories. There was the, the union situation, and then there was the situation with, I believe it was the Beatles. You know, why do you yeah, think that, that they didn't boys. get to play? It was the Beach Boys that were recording. Beach Boys, there. okay. Yeah, um, it, and it was totally a union thing. I mean, you know, you're in England, they want you to use English musicians. Which, you know, I mean, I, I guess they could have if Todd could do the string charts and stuff like that. They could have hired some string players and then done something, but then that's in a completely different direction than they wanted to go in. So um, basically when you go to a country to record an album, you know, a band especially, you don't want to, you know, and, and they were new, and it wasn't it wasn't the kind of thing where there were lots, I mean, the Beatles had strings on their stuff, but I don't think they had any intentions of putting string players on and who even knew how to book people for a session well according to the book and billy and tony y'all can elaborate on this because i found this interesting for whatever reason i guess it was carlin whoever had told the the folks over there that this was going to be singing only what was the purpose in that was it because of this union situation but then they came off the plane with guitars in their hand for photo opportunities. Well, they they had a lot of provincial stuff going on back then. I mean, I think Zappa came, got in trouble, didn't he, Billy? Did he have a big hassle over there too? Well, I think something when they were going to do the Albert Hall or something that they, yeah. uh, he because he said a couple words that he wasn't or something they had to see the uh, words. But I again, I have to look at the book. <laughs> it's been a while since I read it, but I uh, you, you know um, I know more about it than you do. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I think so, but. Uh, um, <laughs> lots of control there and and I think when 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 they talk about vocal only I I guess uh you know you still at that time in the late 60s maybe had some of these plastic uh you know fake groups where they would just come in and put voice voice right, and have the other people doing the back maybe they thought that's what it was or something but mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know 
Maybe Curlin was just trying to do a save since he'd already paid all the money to get right. everybody over there and rented a house for a month. We lived on, um, I think it was number eight, Queensgate Place, um, which was in Chelsea. And, you know, we were there. Uh, and we had rent- rented the place for a month. And so, you know, we spent maybe two weeks there just kind of doing nothing, shopping. <laughs> yeah, they bought a bunch of, apparently, according to the book, you know, bought a bunch of clothes. That was the main thing they got out of the deal. And how did, who paid for that, I guess? The, gems. Yeah? Yep. Okay, so back then, according to the book, they got paid $100,000. Right. Some kind of advance. So that's 25000 I assume, Carson got. Is that correct? No, nobody got advanced anything because um, John was the controller of the money. They got, like, salaries every week, and then, mm-hmm. and then um, you know, Curlin paid for the the home in Great Neck and um, and just all their stuff. Yeah? Yeah, you've yeah, got probably somebody they wanted something. Money, like the Beatles. If they wanted something, they there. could get it. You know, uh-huh. They didn't get, get a lot of money at the time. So what was the competition like back then, Darnell? For, I mean, how were, were um, you know, they're on 16 Magazine and they're you know, all this they kind were, of stuff. You know what? You know where they met girls? They met girls when they went to... Um, when they did their video mm-hmm. in Topanga and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, I saw, I've known like two or three of Todd's girlfriends, maybe four. Um, Mooney didn't have a, well, Mooney lived with my sister for 10 years. Um, and then Carson and I were together. I've, I couldn't even tell you who Stookie was ever with. I remember having some parties and stuff like that, and there were a few girls around, but the guys really, you know, stuck to themselves for the most part. I mean, of course, I was with Carson, so it wasn't like I'd go on dates with any of them. He, he, uh, he didn't take you out, huh? Carson? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it would be, be, you know, I was the only girl with like seven guys, the two roadies, the four guys in <laughs> the band. And then the managers, there were two managers. There was John Curlin and Mike Friedman. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I'd go to dinner at their house and stuff like that. But basically, they we, we all just kind of stayed in Great Neck. And the guys rehearsed all the time. Todd was writing songs nonstop. Todd was working on lighting for Stone the Crows. And, you, you know, Todd's the kind of guy that would get up first thing in the morning. He was up at the crack of dawn. And he'd be going into the city to do something. He was always doing something. Always, always, always. Always, always, always. All right. Well, Darnell, thanks for giving us a holla. Yeah, thanks. No That's problem. A, great. I wish I spoke to you before we wrote the volume. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have her on the show. We'll take care of that. We'll add it as an amendment or something. You know? Addendum, excuse me. There yeah. Go. All right. Good deal. All right. Thanks, Darnell. See ya. Peace. Bye. All right. Good deal. All right. So, man, we've had Moogie. We've got all kind of folks in the yeah, back. Yeah, I actually home. got, I wish I said something to her. I actually got to hang out with Darnell a little bit and they had dinner with her in, before the Toronto show last year. Oh, yeah? And, uh, uh, up, up in Canada, yeah, that yeah. was nice. She's still going to see the shows. I got, I got to meet her in Dallas for a show this year. A lot of fun. We had a, a big crew from TR Connection over there. Lots of fun. So she's a big Todd fan, no doubt about it. All right, so guys, we got about ten minutes left live. We'll do a little little post that if you can hang with me, and I'll, I'll probably what I'll do is uh, we'll wrap up after live, and for people listening to archive, I'll play some Aunt B music so we can check out the song we talked about earlier. But you know. Just just play Do You Like Worms. There you go. All right. That's the four-minute thing, right? Right. Okay, perfect. All right. So 
Let me talk about a couple things with the show right quick, and then I'm going to give you all the last word, and, and you can talk to us about whatever you like. I mean, you know, it's hard to go through the whole volume one. There's so much information. But, so maybe we can talk about volume two, what's coming and what people can expect and how they can get it, et cetera. But let me tell you a little bit about uh, Rugger Radio. we got a MySpace page, uh, myspace.com backslash Rugger Radio. Add us as a friend if you haven't already. Our future show's coming up the 8th of this month, which is next week, Guitar Week, I like to call it. We have Law Workman, who, of course, was with Todd on Second Wind, Nearly Human, great guitarist, Law Workman. On the ninth, we have Jesse Gress, who is currently touring with Todd. If you've seen a Todd show this year, you've seen Jesse. He's toured with Tony Levin, too, who was a guest of ours last month. And it's his birthday. So be sure to call in and wish him a birthday wish. We will have some surprise callers that will be calling in and wishing him a birthday wish as well. So that's going to be a fun show you don't want to miss. And then the 15th, the Quadfecta will be completed, Willie Wilcox. I'm also trying to get some surprise callers for that show as well. Can't promise anything. I don't know the history. I'm not in the middle of that, but I'm going to work on it as hard as I can. We're going to have some fun with Willie Wilcox. He will be back from Mexico into the States, and that will be our show on the 15th. Maybe Billy and Tony will call in and talk to him as well. And last but not least, we're working on doing album shows. Tony, you might want to get involved in this. We're... we're I'm asking fans to guest host. I will help them. It will make it easy on you. What we want to do is review each album that Todd has out, and we already have claims on the following. Runt, A Watts, Initiation, Hermit, Nearly Human, and Healing. Everything else is still wide open. If you would like to be the person that reviews this, these albums or an album, please let me know at rungrenradio at earthling.net. Basically what you'll do is review liner notes, information, interviews, and talk about that particular album, the who, what, why, when, where, for a little while, and then eventually we'll take callers together, and you'll be able to, uh, you know, we'll talk about each song or what the album means. I think one of the obviously very interesting ones will be Healing. Wendy's going to be taking that, taking care of that one from trcookbook.com. I know she's already doing some research. You want to talk about some interesting conversation. That is going to be one album that's going to be a lot of fun. That's, that one and The Wizard are my two The Wizard is going to be our friend Bill Bricker, so you know we're going to get uh-huh. in that. I don't know if anybody else will get a word in, <laughs> but, you know, hey, just it's kidding. Great album, though. It's, it's like a great one, yeah. and that will be a lot of fun. So for the second hour of those shows, maybe even the hour and a half, we'll be taking calls. But first we want to break down kind of who was on it, when it was made, this type of thing, and then we'll start getting into some interpretations. But we do have seven minutes left live, and I uh, did say I was going to give you the floor, but I do have a caller, so let's take them, if you don't mind, 972. I think that's New Jersey. That's Texas. Texas. Oh, it's Liz. Hello. What's up? Hey. Liz, what's happening? Hey, how y'all doing? How are you, honey? Good. Hi. Well, I'm looking forward to the new book, but I know we have a few minutes left, and I just wanted to take the opportunity to give Tony Rogers some kudos, because uh, you know, meeting Todd fans over the years, you meet givers and takers, and Tony has been a giver to the utmost. And I just want to get that in before the show. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, I agree, that. I agree. Thank you very much. And you here, certainly here. have been, too. So. Yeah, no doubt. That's nice, nice, nice praise come, coming from you. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to the book. So, Well, thank you, Liz. We thank really appreciate so it. Okay. Well, I'm going to go now. All right, honey. We'll see you. Okay, take Thanks care. Thank you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Liz oh, man. from Texas. We got Great some person. history there, let me tell you. There you go. <laughs> we go well, back. I love the story about the party, man. It's just uh, oh, it's fun. Man, well, I wish we had a couple of them. They were a lot of fun. Yeah, good stuff. And you mentioned that, of course, tonight. So, all right. Well, so we still got about five minutes. Tell us, 
Sell us on, on volume two, if you don't mind. Uh, the only thing I want to say is that there's a lot of people, you know, that, that I'll be thanking in the book, and if I hadn't thanked you tonight, I mean, that, that you know, that there's two people, Tom Cannon and Bob Beelan, if you're listening, saying hello to you as well. But, uh, um, you know, there's so many people that have contributed, and, again, I can't thank Tony enough, uh, my, my co-conspirator here, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do our very best, and hopefully you guys will like it. I mean, I'm a member of the uh, Beyond the Wizard news group, and I'm sure I'm going to be reading a bunch of stuff. <laughs> In a few minutes or so, about what they say <laughs> about this show, you know, because yeah. someone can be kind of. Um, but anyway, so uh, you know, thanks a lot of the people on that list and the One World list, and and you know, if I didn't mention them tonight, I mean, there's just so many people that have helped on this. This is really, you know, a project uh, for all Todd fans. It's really what it's for, you know, and and uh, uh, and it's for my friend here, Tony. You know, I mean, he deserves his book because he he really is uh, one of the true. Uh, True, he's like the the uh, you know the the library of Todd. I don't know, you know. I'm, oh, I'm, not, know. I'm one of the libraries of <laughs> the Todd Guru. I like it. Well, let well, me ask I mean, you this then, since we got about five minutes, I, I want to ask both of you, and we'll start with Tony. Tell me your favorite part about Volume One, and then tell me your favorite part about Volume Two, and then Billy, I want to hear from you as well. And then we got a caller, so let's try if you can to make it quick because we only got four minutes. I think my part of favorite. Well, okay, I'm just going to pull some stuff out. I think a great story in in uh, in uh, volume one is when Roger Powell has to, on just a couple weeks' notice, learn all these parts. And uh, there, because Utopia has been booked to do a show in 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 Europe at the end of uh, 1975, and in a few weeks' time, both Moogie and Ralph have have quit the band. So now. You know, we had three keyboard parts, and, and Roger has to pare it down to one. And, you know, there's a great bootleg from that, which was done at the London Hammersmith, called yeah. a Nim- Nimbus Thitherward or whatever, and it just shows how, how wonderful it happened. But that really was the genesis, I, I, I think. And I can use that kind of a springboard into the new book, because that's kind of when the first, you know, when they, they went out as a, as a four-piece, and I think they realized they could they could do it. And then, you know, you, you carry it into the to the new book. I would say probably my favorite... My favorite spot in the new book uh, is, you know, obviously is the the good times. I think right around ad- adventures. I think the whole lead up to ad- adventures, uh, beginning man, it's really a couple year type of a period. But you start in 1978, where you have Utopia just honing this set, same way Todd's doing now. By by the way, with this set, he's played over and over. He t- tends to do that. He gets a set it and, and it really masters it. But right before the big explosion of Avengers and Utopia, they played this set with all those Oops, Wrong Planet songs. Really got, got some mo- momentum going, and there was a lot of big uh, hurrah there with, with, with that record being out. So I like that. Certainly I like the Raw. There's plenty of stuff up about Raw and what a magnanimous tour that is and and, and, and in there and how they re- recorded it. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of great stuff. I, I, really think, I really think the band from this second volume is very underrated. Uh, I think it, it uh, the players individually uh, were were not as progressive, pure prog rock type oriented. It was it was more of a groove thing. Uh, that's where where you get the real currency of of this band. I think they 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 kind of change. It's really the story of, of uh, you know a band that started out uh, really hard rock, progressive rock, and really melded in, into a, a pop thing where there really was not a lot of distinction between. You know the sound they had and the sound that, that Todd has, and 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 that's, I, I think it's a it's it's a fascinating story, and and you know I, I'm looking forward to your show with with Willie also because a lot of times because Willie hasn't been as active recently in the in the pop music he, he doesn't get as much uh, coverage as, as maybe the other two guys do, but I think his value to to the band uh, 
uh, is was was just tremendous. I mean, he had a lot of good arrangement ideas. His drumming was just fabulous groove, and uh, I think they they had a magic that was really greater than their uh, than 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 the, the, the sum of their talents. So I'm a big fan of this period. This was a period when I was growing up, you know. So uh, I saw a couple of the shows with the other band, but it was really this band that was my you know virgin virgin. Uh, uh, course here, and, and it just uh, to me this they were a tremendous band, and I, I really love the four piece utopia, I always have, and uh, so I think it's really be a really exciting book. There's a lot of stuff in, in there. I didn't want to divulge too much stuff. <laughs> so many stories in in there with a lot of detail. But yeah, a lot of highlights and lowlights. You know, I got Todd it. gets yeah. Todd gets robbed, and uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's John Lennon thing. Chapman thing, and yeah. but then good, you know, and then the raw tour. Interesting stuff. We can't. We haven't had a show yet. I don't think where the raw tours come up, but we've got a little less than a minute remaining. So if we go off live, folks, I'll keep the chat open. But this will be in the archives. You can actually fast forward to to hear it. You know, once the archives come up, about fifteen thirty minutes after the show. So Billy, tell me your favorite two parts of. Well, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave what okay. Tony said. All right. Well, let's get this caller in right quick. I think this is Cruiser Mail. Um, Cruiser Mail, yes, is that you? Please. What you got? Fifty seconds, baby. Okay, I just want to tell the guys, thanks so much for writing the book, and I wanted to know exactly, do you know when the book is going to come out? Well, the, real quickly, the, it, 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 the ty- everything, the typeset and design right now is over in the hands of Bill Bricker, and we're hoping as soon as I get that back, we all go through the editing and the proofreading, then it goes back to Bricker again, he retypesets and everything up again, we go through it one more time, goes to the publisher. We're looking at, I'd say within two months, going to the publisher and going to print, so you're figuring six months after that. Uh, you know, you're shooting for his 60th birthday, but I honestly don't see it. Look, to me, I think it's probably going to come out in the middle of the summer to the early fall. Sometime in 2008. Okay, we've got five seconds left, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm going to play some Ant B music. You can listen to the archives. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're, we're not live anymore. But, Chris, you got any other questions while you're online? No, but can I listen? You can. We're just going to chat for a minute. We'll play this song here. But... Guys, I really appreciate well, you being you, on. Doug. I'm sorry. I appreciate, I appreciate you. Give me two hours. I mean, that's a long time, but I tell you, we, we probably didn't even scratch the surface with the information you guys got. And well, yeah, there's tons of stuff, but, uh, you know, I appreciate you having us on, and, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll get the second book out sooner than later. Let's put it yeah, well, let's do a show again. We're working hard on it. I mean, yeah. me and Tony have been at it for years now, so. Yeah. Yeah. Our part of it's largely done, really. I mean, it's it's yeah. we're we're really waiting on the layout of it now at this point. It's been that way for quite a while. Because so. he's got to send it back, and then we've got to, you know, you're talking about several rounds of coming back and forth with corrections yeah. to where you get to that final, it's called a blueprint. You get this, like, blue-tinted thing that comes from the uh, the printer, and that's the final thing you look at, you know, and... and uh, so I, you know, but the text is completely done. I've had that done for several months, so it's done. And Bill's doing a great job. But just, uh, you know, hey. uh, I assume it'll get done in a, hopefully within the next month, and we'll be ready to ready to get the correction sure. done. Sure, no need to rush. Else. And if it's, if we, can, you know, if you can make sure you get it right, this is worth the wait, I think. And I, I really do enjoy the first book. And I know we we went over some of the the parts of it that some people may not like, but that's probably a minority. I think overall, I'm glad Moody didn't get on the phone. I was a little worried there. <laughs> Rag on me, you know, but he, he, no, he's he, okay. You, you know, just quoted what he said. I mean, that's yeah, the way yeah. it is. But well, I do. I would like to have you on again if you guys don't mind. I mean, it's a great place yeah, to air your opinion and talk about your book, especially when when it's getting ready to come out. We'll do it again because people, you know, a lot of the guests that we have, you know, they 
we want to talk about them and we're interested in them as well. But when you guys are on, we want to talk about you as well. But you, you know so much about Todd too, and it makes it a little bit of a, of a more special show. Well, so anytime, um, me and Tony will do it anytime. So. Yeah, I appreciate it. Billy wants me to do, I'll do it, man. You, you too, Doug. I really appreciate you doing this. I do I want to take the time to tell you, you know, from a fan's perspective, it's just amazing. It's what you're doing with this thing. It's, 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 it's fabulous, and it's just, it's a great addition to the whole Todd scene, man. It's great. Sounds good. Hey, I appreciate you guys. That's a wrap. I'm gonna play Aunt B. And this is the song that <laughs> you finally got your recognition for. Oh, yeah, okay. So well, Doug, you take care, all right? All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Let us know, Tony. We'll talk soon, okay? See, see you, buddy. Great. See you guys. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye.
there you have it. That's Ant B. Billy James. Google him if you like his music. I think the website's Ant B, A-N-T-B-E-E.com. It may be just Ant B without the dash. I don't know. I uh, should be more informed, but I'm not. Check it out. It's been kind of a crazy day. Anyway, just wanted to see if you were still listening. If you are, I want to tell you that there are still some Texas T-shirts for sale. If you want to know about those, you can see them at trconnection.com or just shoot me an email, radio at earthlink.net. These are really cool Todd Tour T-shirts, and they've got radio.com on the back, and they're available through the Todd store. And also the Bobblehead Project, if you don't know about it, we got a Todd bobblehead. is looking really good. We're on the final stages, and there's some pictures of it also in the forums at trconnection.com. And if you want more information on it, if you're not a member there or don't want to go there for whatever reason, shoot me an email at rugmanradio at earthlink.net. And that's pretty much it. That's a wrap. Check us out on the 8th, Lyle Workman, who was with Todd on the second wind in nearly human studio sessions and tours. So that is the 8th, and that is going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern instead of 8 o'clock Eastern. Please don't miss that show because we're going to have some fun like we always do. Thanks for listening. Thanks for a great 2007. Happy New Year to everybody. Shine on.